Oh, your skin job. <laughs> We're curating an interconnected collection of craps and classics spanning the history of cinema. Each week's film is connected to the last by a single cast member, and so it continues forever, or until we can't be asked anymore. This week's film is... Blade Runner. How's it going, George? I'm good, thanks, Dan. How are you doing? You good? Yeah, very well, thank you, mate. Very well. Still still chugging along. That's it. Um, I mean, I don't know what week it is of lockdown now. I've sort of lost count, but um, yeah, we're we're still getting we're still getting through, aren't we? We're um, you know, surviving the best we can. <laughs> this is the highlight of our week. Absolutely, you know, this is um, I mean, it definitely gives us something to do, which is awesome. One, it gets us to watch a movie. Two, it gets us to proper analyze a movie. And three, we come up with games and we do a bit of preparation and things. So this is a great hobby to have. So I'm happy to be doing this, mate. Agreed, mate. Should we get into it then? Uh, have you seen anything good this week, mate? Um, yeah, so um, as um, as is with lockdown, I've watched tons of stuff, but uh, only a couple I'll, I'll share with you, Dan, like I thought would be interesting to speak about. So the first thing is um, I watched a film on Netflix um, this week called Whatever Happened to Monday. Have you heard of it or seen it? I or... have, yeah, I've seen it on Netflix. I haven't watched it, though. Okay, um, so it's um, it's worth a watch, mainly for the concept. The concept is absolutely brilliant. And, um, this doesn't really spoil anything because this is the very start of the film. But what it is, is that it's a futuristic dystopian world. So that fits in well with today's film. And um, the, the world has got a population problem, um, as our world you know, might have in the future. Basically, it's too busy. And so what the government decide to do in this movie is they decide to say to everyone, you can keep one child and all the rest of your ch- children uh, must be frozen um to for, uh, for for a future date to be thawed out so absolutely mental really really harsh but that's the only way they can decide to like you know sort of keep the population down anyway at the very start of the movie um a lady gives birth to seven children and um <laughs> selfish basically i know i know absolutely mental i don't even know what the word for that is like triplets and quadruplets septuplets septuplets yes um and um william defoe he's the he's the granddad in this film and unfortunately the lady who gives birth to the to the to the kids dies he takes the kids on but he doesn't want to freeze any of them so what he says to them he says okay i will um keep you all in this flat and um i'll let you live with me and you can each go out one day a week. So he gives them each a name. He gives one the name Monday, one Tuesday, one Thursday, one Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday, blah, 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 blah. And yeah, they bet basically you get to go out the house uh, one day a week. So Monday, Monday goes out. On Tuesday, Tuesday goes out. And um, it starts from there. And then all this stuff happens. There's lots of twists and turns, quite a lot of gore. And um, yeah, it's a really interesting concept for a movie. Sounds good. When was it? What year was this out? I think it was 2017. Okay. Although... It seems to be like high on Netflix's um, homepage at the moment, so maybe it's had like a bit of a resurgence or something. Or um, maybe uh, Netflix have only just got it. Maybe, maybe, yeah. And basically, it, when I watched it, I was thinking it's not a great film. You know, like the acting isn't brilliant. I mean, it's got some good actors in. It's got that William Dafoe, and it's also got Glenn Close in. But really like even then they don't do great performances and it's just overall it's not a brilliant film but it's just the concept you know it's really really interesting and that's what i you know enjoyed of the film great so worth a watch um it won't blow you away but like i say it's an interesting one and the second thing i watched this week mate was um a film i'd been meaning to watch for a little while and it combines two things i absolutely love one true stories and two mcdonald's 
because um, <laughs> I watched a film called um, The Founder. Have you heard of it? I've seen it, yeah. You've seen it, excellent. Mm. Did you enjoy it? Really liked it, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's, it's a good watch, isn't it? And, um, you know, I'm quite a big McDonald's fan. Um, I just love McDonald's, you know, like every time I go there, I get quite excited. Even now, being like 32, I still feel that excitement. And I love a true story. And so to see the story of how McDonald's became what it was, or sorry, what it is, it is really, really interesting. And it's a bit of a dark tale, isn't it? It's not all like happy and sunshine. It's, um, it's you know, there's a lot of like backstabbing and, and, you know, real sort of, you know, bad things that happens to the creators and things. Yeah, crazy to see how it started and there's a bit of nefarious actions going between businesses and things. But yeah, I really remember really enjoying it. And I think the central performance is is incredible as well. Yeah, it's Michael Keaton, isn't it? Yeah. Is the main role as um, as Ray Kroc, and uh, it's so interesting how you get these two brothers uh, called, the, you know, the McDonald brothers. They're the ones who invented it, whereas Ray Kroc was the man who took it from being a small, um, you know, single outlet to a, a national international franchise. And so, you know, although he didn't invent it he had the brains to be able to make this thing massive yeah he, so, he he took he took it and run with it didn't he yeah which you know is a shame in a way because the people that created mcdonald's didn't want that they wanted to keep it like wholesome and they wanted to keep for example milkshakes they wanted real milk in the milkshakes and ray Kroc was like nah we want to do you know powdered milkshakes we'll do it double as quick and so i just thought the whole the way that sort of plays out was really interesting so anyone looking for a good true story and if they like mcdonald's <laughs> that's the film the founder <laughs> Nice. Is that everything, mate? Yeah, that's about it, mate. So what about you? Have you been watching anything good this week? Yeah, well, again, on the Netflix and true story uh, vein, I've also uh, watched something in that in that ilk, uh, which is uh, something called, I'm not, you've probably seen it all over Netflix, called Night Stalker or The Night Stalker. Um, yeah, I've seen it all over Netflix and um, someone at work mentioned it and told me some of the stuff that happened and I was like, oh my God, it sounds well sick. Yeah, it's pretty dark. It's it's uh, about a serial killer. It's a um, crime documentary uh, as Netflix have become pros at over recent years um, about the Night Stalker in LA during the uh, mid-80s. Mid um, he's confirmed victims of like 14 odd i think um in the end um but it's just four episodes hour 45 minutes to an hour long um but it's again it's just one of those really really gripping stories but it's mostly told um between these two cops these kind of it's like a buddy cop type uh, situation uh unlikely friends and and colleagues who are partners um one really well-known and celebrated cop and one rookie uh, come together and the rookies, you know, coming up with great ideas and they're bouncing off each other. And it's just a really good story. It's usually, uh, it's usually focused on like the victim side of the story or the murderer side of the story, but this is focusing specifically on, in on the cops themselves, which I thought was really, really good. Um, really well shot as you would expect. And, horrific some of the some of the things that this guy got up to i won't spoil if just in case people haven't seen it or don't know of night stalk i won't spoil how it goes but some of the stuff this guy got up to is is ridiculous but if you're into that sort of thing it just hits the spot and uh yeah i, I plowed through that in a couple of nights which was good nice well from what i heard um without spoiling anything to put it in perspective that um some of the stuff this guy did it's worse than some of the stuff we saw in the movie last week in um, Bone, <laughs> Bone Tomahawk. A little bit, like, yeah, yes. Well, the so thing bad. is, this guy was so weird in his crimes that he didn't have a specific MO. The only thing that linked him was a small thing. Again, I won't ruin it. Um, but otherwise, he would 
hurt anybody anywhere in whichever way he wanted to he just got a kick out of hurting people so whether it be raping old old people kids uh murdering guys women uh stealing he, he just did anything and he was just he and he was praising satan and all this lot he he's a really messed up bloke and um but later on i think there's some stuff in the last episode where you just think what is wrong with people and i'm not just talking about the killer himself he like got some groupies and things like that turning up to his trial and sending him love letters and this is someone who's responsible for like 14 deaths and and countless rapes and child molestation and everything and there's people that find that attractive it's it's incredible mad i mean the planet's got what like eight billion people on and um yeah some of them are fucking nuts yeah you just yeah stay away from those people that kind of turn up as groupies for serial killers um anyway other than that i've had a pretty blade runner heavy week i also i watched blade runner 2049 nice i um i nearly put it on today and i looked at the runtime and i thought I haven't really got time before because I wanted to watch the Liverpool game because it's a long old film, isn't it? It is. It's a long old film. I watched it over two nights. um, But yeah, really enjoyed it. It's nice revisiting it and seeing how it kind of expands on the world of Blade Runner. Uh, Doesn't kill it, doesn't kill it. Uh, In fact, I'll speak about what I completely think about it later on. But I think it really adds to the the mythos and the the world of of, uh, Blade Runner. And... um, yeah, it's it's really it's nice to revisit it because I haven't seen it since it was out in the cinema. I think we went together, didn't we? We did, and I'll tell you what: when anyone says like, "Oh, name you know a really good sequel," that is one I immediately think of because I know you'll talk about it sort of a bit later. But it's so good, damn good. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, on top of that, mate, I've been reading this. Can you see that on your camera? Let's have a little look then. So, Dan, you have been reading. Okay, so Philip K. Dick. Um, do androids dream of electric sheep which is the book that this film was based on indeed yes completely randomly the day after i watched the first blade runner i um had a day clearing out the loft so uh we're just emptying everything out chucking a load of stuff that we haven't seen for many years and kept for no reason um and i found this in a box it's something i read at university um haven't looked at it since and i thought well, it's it's not a coincidence that I've just come across this for the first time in like fifteen years. Uh, so I started it. I'm on chapter two now, um, and it's crazy. You know, it's 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 great to revisit a book. I don't think I don't often go go back and reread books, um, but I don't remember hardly any of it. So, um, a question about it then. So I know this film was based on it. How similar are they? Is it like is it like you know scene for scene? It's the same as the book, or is it? Did they really sort of take liberties on, on you know on how what they did with the movie? Oh, there's quite a lot of changes. Like again, I'm I'm only on chapter two, so I, I don't really remember the rest of it. Um, and at the moment, there's a lot of talk of um, fake animals and stuff like that. You know, the kind of cloned animals that aren't real, or the the um, replicant animals. Um, there's a lot yeah. of talking about that. Um, I think in the next chapter it starts to get a bit interesting in chapter two. So, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I'll, I'll keep you updated. But it's nice. I haven't read much during lockdown. I haven't read much in a while, to be honest. I used to be a avid reader. I used to be, be insatiable when it comes to smack, smashing through books. But I, I seem to have dropped off it since becoming a dad. So it's been really nice to, mm. instead of watching something at night, just sticking my nose in a book. Yeah. Uh, do you know what? I'm probably jealous of people who do that because um, I always look at them and think, Oh, I'd love to get into books, but 
but the lure of the PlayStation is too much for me. Um, but no, hopefully as I get older, I will read more because my my like the books I've read is quite a narrow narrow uh, group of books. Basically, I, the only re- books I really read are, are autobiographies about either sportsmen or or rock stars. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so there's such a big world of books out there that I've never like touched. So I really really would love to get into books one day, but. You know, I just need to stop playing computer games. <laughs> what I find is a good in is to find a film that you love and find the source book and, and get into that. It's really great. It's nice to kind of get a bit more into something that, that you love. Like I did it with all the James Bond books, the Lord of the Rings books, all things that I watched the films first and went back to the books. Um, and this is, again, I, I'd, I'd seen Blade Runner before I'd read the book and it just adds another dimension to it. Um, and mm. again, a lot of people say, oh, the, you know, it's not as good as the book when a film comes out, but sometimes they are. Um, can't think of any off the top of my head, but sometimes they are. I, I, um, I really enjoyed the Jurassic Park book, the Michael Crichton um, Jurassic Park book. I read that last year, actually. Oh, I bet that was good. Um, you're right, though. Um, a, a good in would be, yeah, a world that, you know, I, I love watching on film and want to know more about. Like, like for example, Blade Runner, I mean, I mean, the world is just so awesome, you know. Who wouldn't want to know more about it? So I guess that the book you're reading, Dan, is, is perfect, but, you know. You can't go um, f- far too wrong with Philip K. Dick stuff as well because it's very cinematic, it, the, the, the way he describes his worlds and things like that. And a lot of them are, you know, future cyberpunk-type stuff. Like, if you think, look at his his back catalogue. It's not only the, the Blade Runners that are based on Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, but also Total Recall, uh, which is based on a book called we can remember it for you wholesale i think um and then there's minority report um paycheck a scanner darkly next with a film with uh, nicholas cage adjustment bureau uh so yeah there's so many of his other man in the high castle which uh, i think you've watched haven't you on amazon did you see that I didn't see it, but I know oh. of it. It's the um, the Nazis take over America, isn't it? That's it, that yeah. Or, it's as if yeah. uh, we lost the war and, uh, yeah, the Nazi took over. Okay. So there's so much of his stuff that's, like, penetrated into the mainstream. Um, and he's, yeah, he's just an interesting interesting guy with interesting stories. Yeah, fair play. I mean, it's a clever bloke. Do you know what I mean? You reel off a few names there. I'm thinking, God, one bloke come up with all that. Fair enough. Yeah, he's got an imagination on him. <laughs> other than that mate other than my blade runner heavy week uh should we just get into uh this week's film yeah let's do it mate let's get the blade runner kind of nervous when i take tests take tests I've got four skin jobs walking the streets, walking the streets. They're either a benefit or a hazard. They're a benefit, it's not my problem. Not my problem. I'm Rachel. Deckard. Have you ever retired a human by mistake? By mistake, by mistake. No. I need the old Blade Runner. Blade Runner. This is a bad one. Bad one. How can it not know what it is? If only you could see what I've seen. What I've seen. What I've seen. More human than human is our motto. What if I go north? Disappear. Would you come after me? No, you wouldn't. But somebody would. It's too bad she won't live. 
you help us? What seems to be the problem? Death. I want more life. An experiment. Nothing more. Nothing more. More human than human is our motto. So uh, what's your history with Blade Runner then, mate? Um, so I first watched Blade Runner when I was probably about 14 and um, quite liked it, but I, I didn't properly understand it. Um, I always thought it was a touch boring. And then when I was older, maybe like 21 to 22, I rewatched it and really, really liked it. Like absolutely loved it. And I think it's like quite a mature film. Um, it doesn't sort of like spell much out for you. And it does it require the reviewer to like to you know put a lot of the pieces together themselves and so i think that that's why a 14 year old me you know didn't enjoy it that much whereas a 21 year old me loved it and um yeah so i've watched it probably four or five times in my life and um as we'll get on to as well i have seen some of the different versions um there's the theatrical version which i think i've probably watched the first two times i watched the final cut which changes the story quite dramatically um and so yeah um you know a big fan really like it Mine's similar to you, to be fair. I, I remember watching it quite young and liking it, but not loving it. It's quite a slow-paced film, isn't it? Um, but then I got an appreciation of it in my teens, um, and even more so at uni when I was stu- studying literature and things, um, and we kind of jumped into things like this and New Romancer. Um, and, yeah, I really got into that kind of futuristic world. Um, and, yeah, I... I it's one of those where it's grown on me the older I get, the more I understand it and the more the more depth it seems to have. Um, so, yeah, similar to you. And I think what's really interesting is that the, the more you sort of know and, and love films, the more you get out of this film, because this film is a proper, like, touchstone of, like, sci-fi, isn't it? And so I can see so much... Um, so many films have been and books and comics and everything and computer games have been influenced by this movie yeah and vice versa as well you can see uh past influences on it from like things like um metropolis and stuff like that from you know very mm-hmm. early cinema you can see in especially in the scenery and the, in the world building uh but we're, we're jumping ahead slightly now let's <laughs> we're appraising it we seem to be reviewing it already uh before we do that do you want to give us uh george's famous synopsis for this one yeah, uh, love to, mate. So um, this movie um, is about a Blade Runner. Um, that's basically the term used for police officers who are there to track down um, replicants. And replicants are human-looking robots or cyborgs, whatever. And um, basically, a lot of them have sort of kicked off in the last few years, done crimes, and so basically they need to be killed, or certain ones do. So they get a Blade Runner in. In this um, in this film, the Blade Runner is played by Harrison Ford, and the story is about him tracking down five or six um, replicants um, and, yeah, delivering some justice. And that's where it sort of stems from. Nice. Here's the first one I found on Google. Deckard, Harrison Ford, is forced by the police boss to continue his old job as replicant hunter. His assignment? Eliminate four escaped replicants from the colonies who have returned to Earth. Before starting the job, Deckard goes to the Tyrell Corporation and he meets Rachel, Sean Young, a replicant girl he falls in love with. And good um, good place to say that she was actually our link this week, wasn't she, Dan? Indeed she was. There were quite a few links this week, to be fair, mate. Uh, what, from um, last week or from our general uh, back catalogue? Yeah, so did you know that Blade Runner was li- released on the same day as uh, a few other films? I did read it was 
um, it was released. Well, I don't know about the same day, but I know it was very close to ET and the Thing. Yeah, it was. This, I think it was the same day as the Thing, or at least the same week as the Thing. And also, ET was there. So obviously, the Thing, starring Kurt Russell, who was last week's uh, main star. Yeah, absolutely. And something else um, I noticed is obviously um, James. It's another Kurt Russell link. I know I'm obsessed with Kurt Russell at the moment, uh, but James <laughs> Hong is in it later on. He's um, yeah. I, I looked up his back catalogue to, to pick the next film, oh, and really? um, I come ac- I come across him, and he's been in big trouble in Little China. Yes, hasn't he? indeed, yeah, with Kurt Russell, and I'm like, yes, all the Kurt's cronies coming up again. <laughs> Kurt's cronies but yeah no it's got a great cast and um, I'll tell you one other little surprise as well although we haven't covered this film yet I never realised that the uh, the Dr Tyrell um, was played by the same guy who was in The Shining as the bartender oh yeah god it is I knew yeah. I recognised him yeah but sort of he's got a very distinctive sort of like geeky sort yeah. of look and um, you know in this and in The Shining I actually love that guy's part and, yeah, um, yeah I only put yeah, I only, only put two and two together today. So this is another thing that's great about us reviewing these films. You just learn. I just learned so much about, you know, who's in what and what they've obviously been in and stuff. So it's brilliant. Yeah, nice shout, mate. When was the last time you watched this, did you say? Um, I probably watched this uh, two years ago, I reckon. I think I saw it before we went and watched 2049. Uh, so yeah. probably two to three years ago. Yeah. yeah, I think mine was the same, actually. So let's crack into it. So we start off, and I think this is a hell of an opening. Um, you get this like synth music. It is so distinctive. The the, the soundtrack to this, uh, the the music is just it just puts you somewhere. I know there's a lot of criticism of the music at the time, but I I just think it's it's so original back then it's been aped quite a lot since but um you get it instantly and there's dramatic drums and synths over the credits and then you get a classic exposition scroll, don't you? Oh, you do. And like you say, that those simps, as soon as you hear things like that, um, you know, it puts you straight into like this this city, this world, this like dystopian future, doesn't it? Just from, you know, that, that simp music. So I'm, I'm with you, mate. I fucking love it. And they say Los Angeles 2019. Okay, so now this is making me feel old because they're thinking the future is 2019 when it's our past. <laughs> My note says LA November 2019. Ha ha. Like, I... <laughs> I know what you mean, mate. It makes you feel old. And also just think, oh my God, like, it's so crazy what year we're in now. We're in 2021, you know? And like, there's some stuff that have has moved forward, like, you know, really, really far into the future. Like now, there's other things that we just have not got on into, like flying cars and like, you know, billboards moving and stuff. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot that we're on the precipice of, but there's also mm-hmm. a lot we're well ahead of. Like their computers are terrible. Um, they're, they're they're good when it comes to uh, capabilities, uh, but not user interface. They are ugly. Oh, and the, the size of them, they they are proper nineteen eighties computers doing some really out of this world stuff. Isn't yeah, and <laughs> uh, we'll get into a bit more of that later. Um, but after the exposition scroll, kind of explaining what replicants are and what a Blade Runner is, um, we then see flames shooting from skyscrapers over the, the cityscape of LA. Um, you instantly you recognise the, the the cityscape, but it's it's ch- transformed massively. Uh, you see like flying personal vehicles, as you said, um, and a giant pyramid, which which is always whenever I think of Blade Runner, I think of that pyramid. Yeah, it's really, um, it's really sort of like uh, unique and sort of like iconic, isn't it? It's got like sort of almost arms on the side and all over it, you can just see lights and lights and lights. And when I see that, I just think, how many people must be in there or working or 
you know what I mean? It's just huge. The scale is massive, isn't it? Yeah, huge. And, and the effects still stand up. Like you, you, all, you do see things at the edges. Like you can tell it was made in the eighties, but it's still it stands the test of time. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, you could watch lots of other films from the eighties or the early eighties, and they would look well haggard. And this just doesn't. It just, it, I just, I love the look of it, you know. And it, I love the like roughness and the, the 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 texture of it all. It just, it's so good. I saw um, Ridley Scott talking about how he thought the future might look, and that's where he went for. Like he was talking about, look, it's going to be too much, too much time and money and effort to rebuild everything so you will get your new buildings that are rebuilt and stuff but a lot of buildings are just going to be upgrading what's already there so you'll get neon signs on the front of old buildings and stuff um so he said what i want my world to look like is a is a constantly updated version of our current world so they would get old theaters and just put signs and doors and lights on them that just make them look a bit futuristic and he wanted to to look dirty similar to what star wars did really before mm, you've got that texture you've got that sort of like the, the muck and you can almost feel the, the dirt of the world yeah before then like sci-fi is always clean and and like spick and span and you know straight surfaces and but then you start getting the used universes this used sci-fi where it feels like it's actually lived in and i think that that the sci-fi that's too clinical really turns me off and that's why i i quite like these worlds a bit more yeah, another sort of common theme running, running through a lot of these dirtier sci-fi sort of films is that usually on the ground level you get all the the, the poor people, yeah. the, the the you know what I mean, the, the really like scummy sort of areas, don't you? And then the higher it gets, it gets more like plush and and rich and like you know, um, you get the real important people, don't you? Up a lot higher. Yeah, exactly. And it's it really is a dystopian world. This one, not only for the humans but probably more so for the for the replicants this is a proper dystopia where their lives are hell really they get short lives which again we'll get into later um but also they're second class citizens they're basically looked at as a, a lower lower race so it's there's some race racism undertones there isn't there yeah absolutely i mean they do get a, a real rough deal the replicants and actually there's a good line at the very start of the film in that in that sort of opening crawl um where it says about how Blade Runners, um, they were there to, you know, kill the, the replicants. And they say it's not called execution, it's called retirement. Yeah. So that sort of set, sets it straight out, doesn't it? That they don't think of replicants as like having any sort of feelings that if they want them dead, that's fine, just kill them. You know what I mean? There's no like feeling yeah. there. And um, yeah, like I say, that's sort of like, like a central sort of point of the whole sort of movie, isn't it? Yeah. So so talking of that, that cityscape, we then get taken into, as we mentioned, like this dark hazy smoky gray office where it feels it does it couldn't it doesn't necessarily have to be in the future it feels like it could be any time in the 80s really mm. and the film does this quite a few times doesn't it we go from really really like high science fiction re- flying cars and a really futuristic scene to smoky offices with doors like you would see you know now or in the 80s and, and and desks like you would see so there is a good mix like you said about ridley scott trying to mix the the old with the new it does it really well and that carries on in uh, 2049 as well, um, which it was good to see, um, which I don't mm. particularly remember from the first time I saw it, but I was looking out for it this time because I thought it was a it was a good good way of doing it. And they, they carry that on. In fact, some of the early scenes are solely in kind of run down farm, a farmhouse and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's good to see that back again. And what what the reason we're in this uh, grey smoky office is um, there's a, a replicant test going going on which is called the Voigt Kampf test 
um, and they're doing that on a potential uh, a potential replicant who's who's hiding in in clear sight. Um, and uh, yes, it, it was uh, great to kind of rewatch this and the kind of tension behind it. Because mm, so I'm not surprised they're doing a test on this guy. He is sketchy from from the word go. Isn't he? Like, he didn't need the test. <laughs> No, definitely not. Um, and I, I love this, like how this sort of plays out. You've got the guy doing the test. He's like this sort of cool customer. He's smoking. He's got a nice suit on, and he's trying to put the guy at ease, isn't he? And he says, "Look, just answer the questions." And the guy's getting more and more twitchy, isn't he? The you know the possible replicant, and he's asking him some real strange questions, isn't he? Like if you saw a tortoise and it was yeah. like upside down, what would you do and stuff? And um, very very strange. But they're 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 focusing on the 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 eye and the the the, the pupil of the. The test subject aren't they to try and get a hint whether they're a replicant yeah um, he doesn't help matters uh, when he says what's a tortoise um so, <laughs> i know like so obviously there aren't many animals left in this world anyway and most of them are are, are fakes um but but the fact that he uh he, he doesn't even know what a tortoise is doesn't help and like you said that the focus on the eye and eyes in this film play a big part like throughout the whole film eyes are a theme and eyes and seeing in fact um and again we'll, we'll explore that a bit later as well um but the, the the question that really gets this guy is when he says tell me about your mother oh yeah and with that he basically stands up doesn't he whips out a gun yeah. and blows the the test the tester away sort of shoots him down yeah and it, it's it's a brutal bang and then we get to see that a few times later on as well um and then it cuts to those famous scenery of skyscrapers uh, video billboards and flying cars again neon everywhere including on the umbrellas which i really like they look like lightsabers with uh, umbrellas on them i thought exactly the same thing <laughs> <laughs> like the two things i thought is one that's really cool and two that's completely pointless but i guess maybe it's so dark <laughs> you know it's so dark and dingy down there maybe you do need it but this is where we first um get a first glimpse isn't it of um decker and um, he's basically got his brown jacket on and he's reading the paper. And actually, it'd be good to say at this point, so me and Dan actually watched a slightly different versions of the Blade Runner film because um, there's quite a lot of different versions, isn't there, Dan? Well, yeah, I've got to hold my hands up here because last week you asked me which version we're watching and I just said, oh, the one that's on Now TV. Turns out Now TV are hosting three of the versions, which is good. Um, so <laughs> we ended up deciding to watch two separate ones. So which one did you watch, George? So I watched the um, the theatrical version, so the one that first came out, the one that probably most people have seen, but, um, you know, on reflection and as time has gone on, people have looked at it as being like the worst version. So there's some things in this film that people don't like. Um, and I've seen the version that Dan has seen. Dan watched the final cut, didn't you, Dan? Correct. And that is, um, you know, looked upon as being the better version, the one that, if you're going to watch Blade Runner for the first time, watch the one that Dan watched, the final cut. That's the one that Ridley Scott says is his his version, his final version, and, and the, what he wanted it to be, because there was a lot of interference, as there often is in in uh, in, in film, and uh, this got kind of brutalised by the production company and and other people interfering so as we come along those bits uh, we'll, we'll call them out but yeah we both watched uh, two different versions and I think at this point you get something completely different to what I get yeah so the reason I brought it up a minute ago is basically because as we, as we first see Harrison Ford 
um, in my version, in, in the theatrical version, basically you've got a voiceover. Now, it's basically, um, it, this voiceover continues for, for most of the film. There's probably about seven or eight different scenes where you've got Harrison Ford talking. Um, and he's basically, he's, well, Decker is explaining what's happening. Um, the, what I do like about the voiceover is that it makes it, it makes it very like 1940s like police uh, detective sort of drama, but the only problem with it is it spells things out a bit too much for the audience, yeah. and so it takes a little bit of the mystery away. So I, although I don't hate the voiceover completely, it is better without it because it it does make you think a bit more. It does make you a bit more. Um, it, do you know what I mean? It, it, it really sort of like it, it confuses the 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 the, the viewer in a good way. You're thinking, what's going on? What's he up to? You know. So I prefer the one you watch. Yeah, it spoons feeds you completely, doesn't it? The the narration and yeah. and, it, and it really it tells you things that you really could have worked out yourself. And it's just pure exposition, as we've talked about before. Is it, brutal exposition? There's nothing worse. Show us, don't tell us is is one of the fundamental things about film, and and they're just telling us things that we don't need to hear. That even yeah. Uh, I remember later on when he's he's in the detective's office and um he or the chief of police and he tells uh, the guy mentioned skin jobs and uh, Deckard goes uh this is what he calls uh <laughs> what does he say oh he calls yeah, android he... skin jobs because of wearing skin and uh, they don't need to tell us that we can quite clearly we can make that leap ourselves we're not stupid and it really yeah. does it treats us like we're stupid and I think I think that's one of the flaws of the theatrical version, which is the first one I ever saw as well. I think. Yeah, and I think as well, um, what it does in the theatrical one is it. We'll get into this more later, but it makes him um, more human, yeah. and it gives him a tiny bit of a backstory. And this film's so much better when he hasn't got much of a backstory mm -hmm. and he doesn't act too human. So yeah, it's definitely better without this narration it's not needed and um yeah it rips away it's, any yeah. of the subtlety and the ambigu ambiguity it, it just it, yeah it, for me it's it's like a using a hammer and it's it, uh, to, to crack a nut it's it's crazy good analogy <laughs> so this is our introduction to deckard he's uh for you he's introducing himself by talking <laughs> over the film uh for me i just see him uh standing in the street uh it's raining i believe pissing it down with rain as it usually is in this city um but Again, mixing the old with the new. We've just seen this brand new flashy cityscape, but he's reading a newspaper. Yeah, very old school. You're right. For you know, for this futuristic world, he's 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 sort of you know, bring it back to the old school. Exactly. So we keep getting that mixture of the old and the new. Um and uh, he's taking this is his first visit to uh um, Chinese food stand. Um mm. but just before he gets to eat much, uh, he gets told he's under arrest for being a blade runner. <laughs> That's it, and um, this is the where we first uh, see the character Gaff is his name, isn't he? Yeah. And um, he's he's a quite a spooky looking guy. He's got you know a, a sort of pointy little moustache, and um, basically he's um, yeah he's arresting um, Deckard to take him back to the the police precinct because they've got a job for him, haven't they? Yeah. So uh, yeah, he gets driven off while still munching on his chow mein or whatever he's got, um, and then you get a more visual sky skyscrapers and cityscape um but it's like it, this bit is truly if you look back at the film metropolis um it, it's it literally is just an updated version of that 
what sort of shot for shot the the big buildings and I, I've actually I've seen clips of Metropolis but never sort of actually watched it but I can see like what a big influence that must have been on a film like this. It is one of those films that if you go back and watch it you're like wow I see so many references in here that I didn't realise were references. Um, so yeah, go back and watch it. It's it's worth it. It's not very long so it's worth the time. Because that's like a 1930s job, isn't it? It's, it's really yeah. old. Old, yeah. I don't know actually what year it is. I told you. I tell you. What I watched. Uh, the, I didn't mention this in. Have you seen anything um, uh, interesting this week? Because um, uh, I fell asleep near the end of it. But I watched the Cabinet of Doctor Caligari, uh, which is from 1920. Wow, that is. Oh, that's 101 years old. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I was I was watching that and uh, wow it's good like to to see how they thought what what they thought was scary back then and uh, still how much influence that's had on the on the uh, horror scene it, like there's so much of Babadook in there and things like that it's it's good to watch yeah. that all that kind of German cinema is uh, is is really interesting so yeah I'd, I'd I'd recommend that again it's quite short so it's worth it uh, but enough of that. He's uh, Deckard is now in a police office uh, that wouldn't look out of place in the seventies. Uh, again, old. It's like there's so many like tropes going on in there. So even the door to the like the like the head, the chief of the police or whatever, his office is so like looks like a police door, doesn't it? And then in the office, there's smoking and there's like whiskey under the desk and all that. It just looks so. It's just like any cop film like you've ever seen, but in the future. Yeah, exactly. And this is where the uh, the guy tells him he wants him to track down some skin jobs. Um, and you get told what skin jobs are, but I, I can make that leap because I'm watching the good version. <laughs> However did you get that, Dan? <laughs> um, and then uh, Decker doesn't want to get back into this world. He suggests uh, giving the job to Holt. Uh, but then the detective says he did. Uh, but now Holt breathes okay. He, he's Holt's now breathing okay as long as no one unplugs him. <laughs> amazing and he says don't he? i need your deck yeah. and um he, harrison ford says well i quit when i came in here and i'm twice as quid now <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but he really needs he really needs deckard's blade runner magic he's, he's not taking no for an answer um and he reluctantly accepts and now watching interrogation from earlier that we saw mm. so there's, there's a, in all his he's Basically, he's using his time well, isn't he, Deckard? Because any time he travels from point A to point B, he usually watches uh, videos and footage of uh, you know the, the incident at the start of the film. So <laughs> yeah. he's um, yeah, he's getting some clues. And it's a typical commuter. <laughs> he's he's using his time. And nowadays, people watch like Netflix series, but he's working on his commute. <laughs> Um, yeah fair play um, and, and, and a few scenes ago he was eating his noodles while he was going you know yeah. so he's always using his time well never stay still um no. so it turns out there was an escape from the off-world colonies uh two weeks before uh there were six replicants and they slaughtered 23 people um and then jumped the shuttle um and that's kind of the instigation that's the the start of everything going off track here isn't it Mm, no, so basically, his mission is pretty simple, really. Track these six, I think it's three male, three female, get them, kill them, job done. That's yeah. all he's got to do. Easy. Uh, it turns out they, it turns out, but they, they also try to break into the Tyrell Corp, um, and they want to know what do they want from the Tyrell. Um, and I think that's, uh, that's Deckard's first lead, really. That's where he's going to go. Yeah, yeah. And it, this is the scene, I believe, isn't it? Where, um, so we've got, 
the um, we've got Harrison Ford and we've got the police captain. They're watching videos and he's basically getting explained who these people are. Yeah. And we get our first look, don't we, of um, of Rooker Hauer, yeah. um, who's who's Roy in this film, isn't he? And he's he's a Nexus Six combat model. And mm. the detective says, "Oh, he's probably the leader. Like he's the the sort of badass yeah. of the group." And he just looks like the badass of the group. But there's also Zora and Pris and whoever. Um, but they also explain at this point they only have a four-year lifespan. Um, and uh, that's to prevent the fact that their kind of emotions evolving and stuff like that and uh, getting too too uh, attached to the real world and things. So they kind of put a four-year lifespan on, similar to what Apple do to their products. <laughs> amazing yeah it's true it's true because there's that whole well i don't even think it's a rumor anymore i think it's actually true isn't it that <laughs> yeah. they, you know after your phone has been with you for two years it will get noticeably slower yeah. until you need to buy a new one and so. your battery won't work as well because we want to be it's, you know, it's a load of bollocks and then over at tyrell um we get deckard and sean our link sean rachel. strange name for a woman isn't it sean yeah so this is rachel this is our introduction to rachel and her first words are do you like our owl? Mm. So basically, there's a sort of owl at the desk. It's almost like a reception desk, but it's very, very posh, isn't it? Yeah. And um, this is like throughout the film, there's like little hints of like the wider world, and like this is like one to to sort of hint at the the lack of like animals in this world. Everything's extinct. There's hardly any like real animals left, and we find out that this owl is actually, you know, a, a replica, isn't it? Yeah, uh, the eyes are a giveaway. Uh, again, eyes in this quite often give away um, when people are replicants. You get that kind of reflective orangey tinge in their eye, um, and mm. the owl gets that in this. Um, but then uh, he, he gets asked, "Have you ever retired a human by mistake?" And it's like she's she's testing him. Yeah, and I mean his answer to that he says no, doesn't he? But you're right, she's she's um you know interested in him straight away. Yeah, and then Tyrell starts uh, Tyrell turns up and he starts asking questions um of Deckard and then he says I want you to show me a negative re- result, so can you please uh, can you please test Rachel? Um so then Deckard sits down and you see the reflective orangey glow in her eyes at this point. Um and the test goes on for a while. You see a few it cuts away and comes back and um he he kind of discover, he makes a revelation from there, doesn't he? He does. Well, basically, so um, in the conversation that follows, um, Tyrell says, you know, how many questions usually would it take for you to work out whether someone's a replicant? And he says, oh, you know, between 20 and 30. And he says, well, you know, you asked Rachel uh, over 100 questions yeah. before you found out. And so we find out that Rachel is, in fact, a, a replicant, but she doesn't know she's a replicant. Which is the reason it, it took longer. Um, because she doesn't know so it's harder to get a sense of her lying it's like a lie detector she doesn't know she's lying she she's gonna it's gonna be harder to find out so she doesn't know she's a replicant that's why it's taking so long um Mm. and we find that as well don't we that they're they're also the tyrell corporation is implanting memories into replicants as well to to to, you know to really sort of embed them in the world i think they describe it as like a a cushion uh to so because i guess it was quite jarring for a replicant to be in the world but just to have no backstory so they're giving them their own backstories which you know opens up a world of shit layer <laughs> yeah and that that's really expanded on in 2049 as well the memory side of things 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you know what? Like talking about it, mate, and watching Thingy, I do really want to watch it again because it's been a while since I've watched that. I watched it at the cinema review. Probably watched it a year later when it first came on Sky, and um, so that's probably two and a bit years ago. So I'd love to rewatch that because, um, yeah, it's really do, good. Do mate, it's really patient, and it's you know, again, it's a different kind of pace to most films, but I really just enjoy being in that world and just appreciating every moment of it. So yeah, it's worth a go. Um, what I found interesting at this point is. Uh, Deckard goes from saying she's a replicant, isn't she, to how can it not know what it is? So he goes from saying she to it uh, as soon as he know, has confirmation. Um, so it just shows how little replicants are regarded um, in this world. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Deckard's got a lot of experience with, um, uh, you know, killing these things. And so I guess to replicants, up to this point, he's quite cold, isn't he? Because mm. you've got to be to do his sort of job. Yeah. And it turns out she's an experiment, as you say, and, and they're, they're given replicants memories. And uh, just just note that for later, everybody. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> next bit is we get some more proper, as you as you said, like that neo, that noir, hard-boiled detective type scenery in the rain. Um, Deckard and that creepy-looking detective from earlier are checking out an apartment. Um, and uh, they find this like he finds this like flaky thing in the bath, which I wasn't quite sure what it was at the time. Yeah, it's, it's strange, isn't it? You almost got some. It looks like sort of green blood or something, and then this little yeah. uh, I don't know, this little just piece of matter. Um, later we find out it's a scale, don't we? But um, yeah, it, very very strange. Yeah. Um, and then as you got Deckard sort of like you know checking out the, the crime scene or, or this hotel room, sorry, to try and sort of gain some information, you got this, the freaky looking gaff guy in the background, and he, he's making an origami man, isn't he? Yeah. As he's doing it as he's you know, and again, it's a small little gesture, but that will come you know sort of later in the film, and like it's one of those things. It's such a simple little thing they inserted into the film, but it has like a big uh, meaning later on, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, stick a pin in that one. Mm. Uh, and then uh, now we meet Rutger Hauer's Batty, Roy Batty for the first time and uh, he's speaking to the replicant that was being interrogated earlier and shot the guy who was interrogating him and um, he was off looking for the photos in the apartment that Deckard's in at the moment um, and couldn't get to them yeah that's right he says doesn't he oh there's a man there um you know i'm not able to go in um so basically roy and um and leon they they take a trip to the old eye lab don't they yeah yeah where james hong uh from from big trouble in little china is in there um tiniest part in it but i just love whenever i see james hong i just just love every moment of it um he's talking to himself in these he's, he's got hoses attached to him basically keeping him alive in the cold i think um yeah and he's then, awesome like he's like he's got all these like wires coming off his back like just just a little note on the on the hairstyles and the costumes in this film it's so good yeah um you know in me he's got this big old coat on he's in this like freezing lab and um you know he just looks mental he's got this wispy beard and um oh just so like you know like if you saw that you would know exactly what film it would come from you yeah. know you can, it just has such a good like flavor to it the whole film and then uh rudka hauer or, or batty uh, starts chatting some poetry this is what i think he he's really intimidating in this film is uh, and this is stuff that i think Rud, rudka hauer brought to it himself is a lot of the lines the stuff that he he changed and amended himself just to make it a, a bit more a bit more poetic and uh, i think that really adds a dimension to him um and uh, that's what he does here um hong then realizes that replicants um and uh then they're kind of standing over him stripping off his fur coat coat when it's really cold um 
and they basically what they want to know is they want to know about morphology longevity insect dates or something they say um and and he's he's not willing to hand it over or hand out any information over he says he doesn't know he says um the person you want to speak to is is sebastian doesn't he jf sebastian yeah um, JF Sebastian, so that's their little. That's where they're off to next, isn't it, replicants? You know, yeah. they're basically they're. they're try, I think that's all their goal, isn't it? They're trying to get to the top to speak to the creator, Doctor Tyrell, yeah. and um, they're sort of you know going, you know, going on the, uh, the the various stepping stones to try and get there. And their next stop is yeah, this JF Sebastian. Yeah, and basically, their ultimate goal is they want to live longer. They don't want to die after four years, so that's what they're aiming to do. Um, uh, there's something that he says at this point, uh, Batty. He says, um, "If only you could see what I've seen with your eyes, as in the eyes that Hong had, had created." Um, again, it's, it's uh, that theme of eyes running through that and and seeing, um, seeing things for yourself and seeing with other people's eyes. And uh, yeah, it keeps keeps popping up that theme. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Like you said, you know, eyes are a big a part of it. Like whether they're talking about eyes or there's shots of just literally eyes, isn't there, throughout yeah. this movie? You know, whether it's whether it's Deckard's eyes, like in the spaceships or flying along, or on or on a computer screen, all being talked about. It's eyes, eyes, eyes. Yeah, and then we get more of Deckard driving around on his commute, uh, listening to interrogation tapes. Um, have, how much have you had at this point? Have you had any more narration from him at all? Or? Um, we had a little bit. So. We had a little bit in the detective office where he talks about how the detective's a um, a racist. He basically says, "Oh, the the detective calls black people, you know, the N word, and he calls replicants what was it, skin skin job, skin jobs." Yeah, so he he does a bit of that. Um, he also um, he he it's so like by the book. Like he literally explains how the reason he's going to that hotel room is because that was mentioned on the tape with the guy at the start. You know, Leon. Yeah. Yeah. So instead of us, instead of us going, oh, that's why he's at the hotel room because he knows that Leon said it at the tape at the start. He literally goes, oh, well, my next part of call was uh, definitely the, the hotel room. I read the notes yeah. from the interrogation. Exactly. Um, so it, again, it does add to the flavour of it being a proper detective movie, but it is just way too simple to, um, you know, to really sort of like land. <laughs> yeah, and that he kind of gets uh, uh, an, a lift up to the apartment, um, and it t- and he suddenly gets startled. It turns out Rachel was in the lift the whole time, and he didn't notice. Yeah, she just sort of like appears there, doesn't she? Um, yeah. it's, it's quite odd. Also, something else I made note of at this point, he um, he lives on floor 97. I'm thinking, <laughs> wow, like that just like gives you the scale of this city. I mean, his apartment block, I imagine, is just a, quite a normal sort of place. And there's 97 floors or more in that block. Like, oh, my God, it's just mental. Voice-activated lift as well, a little bit, little bit like uh, Alexa-type thing. Yeah, it works better than Siri, because <laughs> Siri just can never understand me, mate. <laughs> um and she basically says to him at this point you think i'm a replicant don't you um and then you know she's trying to prove to him that she's not shows a pic of her mum uh with her and her mum so she starts basically sort of saying some memories from her past doesn't she and deckard can basically like he can just finish off the end of them can't he because he knows her memories yeah so he knows those memories because they've been planted and other people have, have known them so they're not unique uh which kind of makes her slowly realize that uh they're implanted and um she's probably a replicant but he says i made a bad joke you're not a replicant go home uh but then she starts sobbing and throws a picture on the floor and leaves and uh decker decides to drink alone just like any hardball detective 
oh, it's got to be done. That is in the playbook of any, you know, you say hardball detective. You need to drink a real hard liquor, you know, on, on your, your own. On like, your own in your dirty, dark, dingy apartment. Just have a have a yeah. bottle of whiskey or two. Yeah, and also you need to have papers and computers everywhere, and yeah. you need, it need do you know what I mean? everything needs to be a mess. That's right. Um, which which is is so you know he fits simple perfectly. All he's <laughs> missing in this really is like a, a Stetson hat or something. Um, <laughs> yes, definitely, like, definitely. Also, he doesn't smoke. I don't believe so. He he like just to finish him off, he should smoke. <laughs> yeah, he should. Um, then we see uh, we get introduced to Daryl Hannah for the first time. She's walking around the street, um, and then cozying up to some trash <laughs> she's hiding in trash yeah and um this is where we get um the the sebastian sebastian character he says to her don't he, oh, are you okay are you okay and she runs off and basically walks straight into a cab doesn't she yeah well yeah he turns up in this like weird shaped truck <laughs> van type thing and then she when she sees him she gets startled and runs off and smashes her hand right through it right through it turns out that wasn't actually planned that was an actual she actually smashed her hand through that and uh, and got injured but they left it in. Wow. Yeah. She, Amazing. She was meant to just run around the corner. Um, but anyway, she says she's lost. Um, and, you know, like we scared each other pretty good, didn't we? Um, but he invites her in for food. Uh, he lives in this huge building on his own. It shows that it's not, it's not really overpopulated. It's just overbuilt in this city. Like there's, so, there's, yeah. there's space for people He's... to live. He's, yeah, he said something like, you know, like, oh, there's plenty of room for everyone. And which is interesting because you get the impression, you know, some areas of the city are just absolutely rammed. Whereas this obviously is a lot more sparsely populated. And yeah. I've got to say, this apartment block is the coolest looking place. Like like, like you mentioned earlier, um, Ridley Scott wanted to, you know, take old buildings and architecture and sort of give them a modern twist. And this just looks so old school. It's, it's dripping with water and there's lights being shined in. But the lights shine through these really ornate um barriers and grates mm. and grills and things don't they and just that all together just looks so amazing yeah it's like 20s architecture but in the future with everything added on top of it but some of it is just stuck in in the past uh, there's like things yeah. that are getting left behind um uh, speaking of which he's living on his own and his toys are his friends he's a genetic designer very strange i mean he, he as soon as um him and prisk sort of go into his front door um, we get a shot of the two sort of machines. They're almost like toys, aren't they? Like, um, sort of uh, walking around. He says, oh, these are my friends. And they're basically these two. I don't know what they are, really. Well, one's they're, like a creepy admiral bear. The other's like a Pinocchio soldier. <laughs> it's like... Fucking, That's you, a good description. You sent me a gif of one of them earlier, didn't you? With his little <laughs> phallic nose. I know. He's got a proper penis nose. Big time. <laughs> big red bit on the end. It's mental. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like uh, uh, what's his name Owen Wilson he looks like Owen Wilson <laughs> yes he does oh my god <laughs> and the funny thing is um, when I was looking through uh, the next link to, to get to the next film you know the, the actors who play these two actually popped up yeah. and um, they've had big careers because you know uh, as you know you and I'm sure lots of listeners know um, lots of people that have what's the right word like uh, dwarfism small. dwarfism or little people Little, that's it. Um, you know, they have great film careers because like they're always in demand because mm. there's lots of roles that require someone really small. So these guys have been in a lot of stuff. <laughs> Do you know Warwick Davis? I th- I believe he still does, but at one point he had uh, a little people talent agency where he, he was the go to person to get uh, little people talent. Well, I mean, with his connections, mate, he he would be the man, yeah. you know. <laughs> He's he like 
there's so many fit things that I've seen where I think, oh, I wonder who, and it turns out it's Warwick yeah. Davis. He's been in so much stuff. He's the go-to he small is. man. He's done it all. I love Warwick <laughs> Davis. He's such a character. Yeah, he's awesome. And good sense of humour, like doing that whole thing with Ricky Gervais, that life's too short. Yeah, that, 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 doesn't, that doesn't come up enough in conversations. I need to revisit that because I remember finding that really funny. Mm, I do as well. But actually, this is probably the first time I've talked about it in years. Yeah. And thinking about it, maybe the reason it isn't on Netflix and stuff is maybe it is quite offensive. Maybe it is, <laughs> yeah. Because I mean? um, yeah. I've never seen it on Netflix or on Sky or on Amazon. It's, it's not anywhere. No. And I, I agree. I really liked it, but you know, hey, hey. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's, let's endeavour to rewatch it, mate. So now uh, we cut to Deckard uh, leaning on a piano, drinking again. Uh, it, Deckard, more like drunkard. Um, and <laughs> uh, he's like daydreaming a bit, isn't he? And this is a crucial bit in this film. I don't think you get it, do you? He dreams of a unicorn. Yeah, so for people that haven't seen it, um, it, w- it will come as a bit of a shock, as in you, you think, what's going on here? But basically, he's having a really random dream. The dream, quite simply, is, is a white unicorn bombing it through the forest. And yeah, well, I mean, we'll explain why it's so big sort of, you know, at the end of the film. But in my version, the one I've been watching, um, you don't get that at all. And right. again, we'll explain later, won't we, why that changes like so much of the movie. But in my version, he's just on the piano, he's just pissed, and um, he's just playing one key whereas you're seeing this dream he's having aren't you yeah and then he uses this shit but also really good software to enhance some photos <laughs> <laughs> oh how long does this go on for oh like, it's so annoying the, the, the amount of um the amount of words you have to say to get it to do what you want you've got left like left 49 yeah. up 22 oh it's, it goes on and, um, on and on and on work a mouse could have done in a few seconds he does <laughs> Don't like twenty minutes. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> actions are, are quicker than words, and uh, it was it was so annoying. I'm just like, just pick up the mouse. Why is there no mouse? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, on the flip side, though, one thing it it did do well is the quality of um of zoomed in image was unbelievable. It's that classic trope of um people in movies in the movie world. People just go enhance and suddenly the video becomes the most high definition video or or, or photo that enhance oh that suddenly magically press the enhance button and everything's fine <laughs> also although it didn't happen too much in this film there's one thing i have to mention i love it in a film where um someone asks someone to do something on a computer and to do it it takes like 50 button presses like yeah. they, really quickly do you know what i mean i'm like why did it take so long why didn't they just click on the button to like enhance <laughs> it or, or they're just like i don't know i just find that movie that was mm. <laughs> should be touchscreen by now anyway um you'd think you'd think but don't you think it like added something to this film where where it just looks it just fits the world so well it's so dirty and old and decrepit slash futuristic do you know what i mean it's like alien isn't it just like alien yeah it is and it's like you're saying earlier when it's too clean and too um flashy you know that, that doesn't appeal to you you like the, the squalor of it and I, like, that I like goes grimy future well. yeah yeah you know and, and i'm the same mate i love that sort of future and i love that sort of technology it's um it's bulky and it's shitty but you know, it does the job and it just fits it well so well. That's it. And, and just like that, with this great slash shit software, he picks up a woman in a reflection lying on a bed uh, with what looks like a snake tattoo. Um, and then that it look, we find out that's the skin he found in the in the tub was, was that flake from that tattoo, I think. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. And- 
Well, off the back of this, he goes to um, he goes to a market. Um, more food Chinese seller, food, doesn't he? And he? That's it. More Chinese food, and he basically takes the scale with him, doesn't he? And mm. He says, "Oh, can you analyze this?" And again, very very clever. Like this simple market seller is able to like zoom in really deeply to this scale and she finds that it's actually a scale that's been made because snakes are i think extinct or, or very rare so yeah this chinese um, food store is actually doing under the counter evidence analysis the place you go to would also be able to you know uh, it's, evidence it's there, usually yeah. like under, uh, under the counter weapons or uh, or uh, you know drugs or things like that but no we'll do evidence analysis for you <laughs> yeah along with your chow mein <laughs> yeah. but yeah they managed these uh, this chinese food store managed to get um a decent uh picture of a serial number in the snake scale which is amazing um and then uh deckard go, goes after the manufacturer of that snake scale um and follows mm. the lead to a club doesn't he always a club in these near uh, these like detective play, uh, films they always end up in a club with flashing lights and things don't they and and, and topless women yeah, like I say, standard. And the the hero, as is the case in this, they're usually quite reluctant to have a drink, but someone like forces them, like, go on, have a drink. And they're yeah. like, oh, go on, then I'll have one. And in this, did you notice what he was drinking? It looked well rough. It had like, it had, like maggots in, and yeah. smoke coming out. It was weird. Yeah, cocktails with worms in it. Fucking weird. Yeah, really, um, really strange. And then uh, he, he uses a... He's looking for Taffy Lewis, isn't he? Taffy Lewis for questioning. Yeah, this is the uh, is this the guy who's sitting at the bar, is it? Yeah, but in fact, he has a great video call with uh, Rachel on this like phone box, and it. <laughs> do you know how great? That's one thing it predicted, by the way. Video calls, uh, one dollar twenty five cents for a video call. I was gonna say it seemed a little bit pricey. Like yeah. he only spoke to her for about two seconds because he basically says, "Oh, do you fancy coming down?" And she was like, "No," and she put the phone down. <laughs> but we don't know that one dollar twenty five cents might be like two two cents in today's money you don't know 2019 in this uh, in this world quite possibly i mean when, when was this made 1982 so we're yeah. talking like 40 years in the future yeah it's going to be it's they, gonna be they might have predicted <laughs> that yeah the, the the dollar was worth nothing so um but then uh, he reads a paper again um in this club and he's he's waiting for a performer to come out and, and then he does this amazing voice, doesn't he? Yeah. He acts like when a he like goes really camp. <laughs> it's so random. He basically like he, he he to get into this woman's like locker room. He basically says he's from sort of some sort of department of like I don't know anti-corruption it's, or whatever, uh, doesn't he? It's the American Federation of Variety Artists. That's the one, and he's basically sort of quizzing her, sort of saying, "Oh, have you been, you know, harassed, or have you been exposed? Has someone exposed himself to you? Have you been asked to do things you didn't want to do?" But he's putting this well funny voice on. <laughs> yeah, it's really, uh, really affected voice, uh, really over the top. I've never seen Harrison Ford do something like that before. It was, it was and I don't remember it from the film either. Um, so it's good. No, to I didn't either. And like, like you say, yeah, it's well out of character for Harrison Ford. He always played a very similar sort of person, quite. Yeah. Um, serious and you know, uh, you know, it doesn't sort of let their guard down very often. And I've never seen him be messing around like this before. Yeah, and as you say, he says the management have been exploiting artists. He's asking her loads of questions, um, and he says, oh, "I'm going to have a look around for holes in the walls where pervs stare at people." <laughs> um and she says yeah sure go ahead goes off has a shower uh gratuitous nudity um, an amazing hairdryer oh yeah amazing just stick your head in it and it just it just i mean i've got no need for it but 
I could see people with hair, you yeah. know, it would be brilliant. And she's got a snake. He asks if it's real. She says she, she wouldn't be working here if I could afford a real snake. So another hint at the fact that animals basically very rare and you, you'd have to be rich to have one. And this is the point where she sort of turns around and punches him, doesn't she? And then runs Yeah, off. nice kick in the balls, punch in the face and tries <laughs> straggling him, um, but uh, gets disturbed and, and does one. Yeah, so she basically is running off um, and he, he's, he's trying to get a shot off, but he, he can't. There's too many people. There's taxis in the way. There's cars and things. Anyway, she um, she walks into this sort of like glass corridor shop front area and this is where he finally pegs her in the back, doesn't he? Shoots yeah. her and she goes flying through some proper movie glass. It was so thin. Like, yeah. um, and then he gets her again, I think, and again she goes through another pane of glass. And this is being watched by another replicant which is leon leon yeah and do you notice there's mannequins everywhere like false humans standing all around her yes I, to be honest I, I didn't sort of consciously notice it but you're absolutely right yeah like you know another sort of like hint metaphor of you know what's going on in this movie yeah and then uh, a detective turns up and uh, he says like one more to go um and then deckard's like no three and then um deckard spots rachel in the crowd and goes after her absolutely right and this is where he's basically going after rachel and then out of nowhere leon hits him from behind doesn't mm -hmm. he doesn't he yeah he, leon hits him from behind and um leon's proper battering decker like because you get the impression these replicants are pretty strong like he's throwing harrison ford around like he's fucking ragdoll yeah and uh he he's asking uh deckard how old he is and deckard, deckard gives him a, a slap and says i don't know and he says, my birthday is April 10th, 2017. How long do I have? Side note, he was born literally just a month before uh, my boy. Um, and so at this point in this film, he's like two years old. My kid didn't have a mustache at, at two years old. This guy, no. this guy grows fast. <laughs> this guy is a quick grower, yeah. This guy. I mean, to look at him, you think he's about 40, but mm. no, he's just two. <laughs> two years old and he's battering the hell out of Deckard. He's a hard paper round. Yeah, yeah he's, he's he's really grown up on the streets. Um, but then I think he lives for four years, and um, and the uh, replicant says more than you. And uh, Deckard Deckard is getting his ass handed to him at this point. But Rachel turns up and shoots Leon in the head. Yeah, boom! Like a great shot. So straight in the head. You know, that's another replicant sort of taken care of. Um, and then they go back to Deckard's flat, don't they? Um, him and Rachel. And um, she says to him at this point, you know, if, if I fled, you know, would you hunt me? Mm. And he says, oh, no, I wouldn't hunt you. The reason being is you, you know, you, you saved my ass. Like, I owe you one, he says. Mm. Um, but that goes like against like his whole sort of code. Because like, obviously he is like a replicant hunter. And I think later in the film, like they do allude to it doesn't matter if you're a replicant, you run off, someone will chase you eventually. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. So I, I won't, but somebody would. Um, and you see that weird orange light in her eyes again. She wants to know how long she's got. Um, she asks if she's ever taken the test himself. So she's kind of questioning whether he's a replicant. Um, yeah. And uh, then you at the piano again, and there's old photos look like they look like they're from like the 1920s. Those photos, which I really was really off putting. Um, mm. And it's, it's they look out of place almost, don't they? Yeah, and it's no family he would know because it's from like a hundred years ago. I don't have family pictures from a hundred years ago. Um, I don't know if you have, mate. Oh, all, all over the place. <laughs> all right, fair enough. Maybe it's just me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cold, damn. And uh, yeah, she she plays the piano piano for him as he has a power nap. Um, 
then <laughs> lets her hair With down. With his shot. He has his shot glass, doesn't he? On it, yeah. He's having a little nap. Classic. <laughs> Random. And then she lets her hair down and tries to look like one of the photos, like this 1920s look. Um, and Deckard then starts kissing her. And at this point, it's like, if if he's human, like he is in your version of the film, or they suggest that he is in your version of the film, I think it's pretty much explicit in your version, isn't it, that he's human? Well, there, there is... Um, actually, no, in my version... There's nothing that like explicitly says he's human. They but they don't like they don't really push the they don't really push the question in my okay. mind. Do you know what I mean? Okay. They just they but there's again at the end, there's one thing in mind that might give an eagle-eyed viewer um a hint that he's a, a replica. But in yours, it's more on the nose. But anyway, yeah. we'll, we'll get to that. But yeah, this this is again something that's been predicted is uh, there's guys out there that are willing to fuck non-human robot type things because you can buy them on the internet now, can't you? Yeah, I mean, we've all seen a Channel 4 documentary about these like (laughs) sex bots and things. We've all had a good laugh about it, but it's it's a real thing, isn't it? It is coming, it's coming. Philip K. Dick knew about this years ago. He was already thinking about fucking robots before you guys even knew what the internet was, all right? So don't worry about it. You might as well fuck your hoover in your fridge while you're waiting for him to come out. Um, who, has, who hasn't fucked their hoover? Yeah, well, you know, yeah, I should have said something like your PC or, you know, your, your oven. But yeah, hoover's fine. Well, for a blowy anyway. Yeah, it's an active participant. Everything else is just lying there. Dear God. Um, but then she tries to run out. Um, and this is quite dark, this bit. He's basically raping a robot. Yeah, and like this proper goes against the grain of like twenty twenty one. Like she tries to walk out the flat. One, he shuts the door. Two, he pushes her against the, the blinds, doesn't he? And then he, you know, kisses her. Um, he does make a gesture with his hands to say, "I'm not going to like punch you." Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> but, all right then. I don't know. That's okay then. Yeah. But do you know what I mean? This is just a classic example. We say it's always every week, but there's stuff that you know, ten, twenty, thirty years ago could be on film. Now you just would not get that. Does it? Do, not, it doesn't make it any better that she's a robot. I don't think so. Like. She still she has feelings. Don't don't they have feelings? Yeah. Well, again, central point of the film, like these, you know, these replicants. They're why shouldn't they be treated just as good as humans? Yeah. Um, and you know that that's really the crux of it, isn't it? And he basically intimidates her to say that she likes him and she wants him, now, and tells her, "Now you kiss me." And yeah, it's really really a bit. Ugh. Yeah, it is a bit dark for sure. Um, yeah, he's not like he's not like. White than white policeman. He's um, yeah, he's pretty rough around the edges, to be honest, isn't he? Yeah, Decker's a dickhead. Um, <laughs> and sorry, uh, moving on from the rapey scene, we cut to Daryl Hannah spraying her eyes, um, and uh, in the in the toy hat to Sebastian's house. So she's I don't know what she's doing, but there's a unicorn toy there in the background. Did you see that? I didn't actually. No. Um, in fact. As is always the case, because I do this at home now. Well, you, I guess you do it at home as well now, Dan. But I always have the film just playing, just on silent in the background. Yeah. And um, I'm I'm literally on that scene like right now. And um, yeah, there's a unicorn toy in there if you keep your eyes peeled. Um, and uh, she sniffs Sebastian as he sleeps, which is is weird. Um, and again, you see the weird reflection orangey eyes that she has. Only the replicants seem to have this in this film. And at some point, Deckard has them. So just saying. Um. And then uh, Roy turns up and uh, appreciates the toys very much. Absolutely. He, he, uh, at this point, like he um, he walks straight in Danny and he gives Chris a big old kiss. And uh, I got the impression that Sebastian's like a tiny bit like jealous of him. Like, oh, yeah, oh shit. Like, I, thought, quite... I thought I was in there. 
yeah, like lonely guy. The only people he's got are his little toys and things. Yeah, like, and he's probably guy. fucking like, his toys, to be fair. His vacuum cleaner. Yeah, especially that Pinocchio nose. Oh yeah, you know what he's been doing that definitely. He's been bending over. <laughs> it's like, have you ever seen that Family Guy when that guy's bending over and asking the Pinocchio to lie some more? <laughs> Do you know what? I was about to say no because I never, I've pretty much seen no Family Guy, but that's a bit I have actually seen. <laughs> that's quite good. Yeah, it's funny. Oh god, <laughs> Family Guy. Um, and Roy kind of then says that we're the last two, we're the surviving two. Um, and, I, and I wonder whether they only become uh, a uh, a thing because they're the last two on Earth, because that's kind of a thing I've heard a few times. Oh, what the reason they get they they're kissing and they're sort of getting together is because they're the last two that are about. <laughs> yeah, because I've been told many times in the future, not if you're the last person on Earth. And I was, well, he's like, well, I can make that happen. Uh, we are the last two on Earth. Well, also. This sort of like leads on a little bit to the the, the the sequel because the sequel deals with the topic of replicants having babies. Doesn't mm, it? Yeah, it does. You know, so spoiler. So, you know, that's yeah, that's not a mad point. You know that these two getting together because in the, in the you know in the sequel they sort of get into that. You so, never um, know, yeah. yeah. And then yeah, yeah D- Daryl Hannah starts doing a backwards cartwheel thing and picks an egg out of boiling water with her bare hands and then throws it to Sebastian. She plays hot potato with a hot egg. Yeah, she's probably showing off, isn't she? Yeah. And Roy basically wants to speak with Tyrell, doesn't he? And he basically is going to use Sebastian to to get to Tyrell, to get to the top of this, you know, massive skyscraper to speak yeah. to the to the boss. He says I can't, um, but the next scene, um, he's smuggling Roy into the Tyrell pyramid. Um Tyrell is in bed at this point and he kind of speaks to Sebastian over intercom, doesn't he? Um and mm. they've been and having he's in it was in is is a chess like a chess battle, isn't it? Yeah, it's um, it's a bit weird. Um, so it's like basically the scene plays out. Oh, you've got a call in line one. Someone's in a lift almost. Oh, who is it? Oh, it's you, Sebastian. What do yeah. you want? Oh, I want to make a move. I want to make a chess move. Like, yeah. well, like, why did you just fucking ring him up? Like, anyway, whatever. It turns out that these guys are obviously quite quite good chess masters. So they 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 play off each other. And he says earlier he's a bit of a genius, Tyrell, but it's good to play him. And uh, so they've obviously got this long thing going on and he gets really, he gets jumped straight out of bed, doesn't he? It's like, yeah, yeah, let's, let's go and make this move. Um, but then by the time he arrives, he says, I brought a friend. Roy sort of steps out, doesn't he? Yeah, Roy and, steps um, out. He, he asks him if he wants to be modified. Yeah, and he, he basically, he says to him, doesn't he, I, I, I want more life. Father. Um, and Ty- Father. And, and Tyrell basically says it, it's, it's not possible. They've done things and it, it, it can't be done. Um, and then we get this brutal murder don't we um where um uh Rooker howard the roy character he basically just pushes his thumbs into tyrell's uh you know skull into his eyeballs yeah. and i think eyes your um, version your eyes again good shout and your version um i think is a lot more bloody than the one i um i saw uh, yeah, this was. time um i think you saw you see you know more an extended scene and things whereas mine is quite quick and just a tiny bit of blood yeah. whereas yours is more gory but it's really like bittersweet this bit because it's obvious that tyrell is really proud of him and and what he's done even though he's become this murderous being but he's he's obviously really intelligent he's there's a, like a glint in his eye um and, and he tells him the light that burns twice as bright burns half as long in other words, oh yeah, but sometimes dying early is better. Uh, it's not really, <laughs> it's not not really that uh, really that comforting when you know you've only got four years to live. I mean, that phrase sort of works, like on people that are like 
60. Yeah. But like four is like, yeah, it's like no. nothing. You don't say that to mothers um, of four-year-olds, do you? It's just not, not <laughs> No, 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 absolutely not. And um, yeah, no, I know what you mean. The way sort of Tyrell looks at him, he's like proud of his creation, isn't he? Yeah. Um, but what, a little word on the replicants of this film. I think all of them did a cracking job of being, um, being replicants. They're mm. so like, like subtly unhinged and they're they're just they're not your classic baddie at all i just think all of them did a great job of having that like off kilter look and the way they acted they weren't hamming it up they weren't making it obvious they were like robots and things but i just think they did a really good job all of Mm. them to make you know they were all very uneasy yeah yeah, i agree yeah they they all yeah they're they're slightly off but not off like over the top off human are they mm. it's enough for right. people to kind of know when people are replicants and you get a bit more of that in 2049 where um people know when you're a replicant just by instincts most of the time um uh but yeah it's it's it, they're all really well played really subtly i think i think there's not a mm. bum note when it comes to acting in this at all no it's really really good like you say throughout it's um yeah everyone does a cracking job um, and then we get to see Deckard hearing Sebastian's name over the radio. Um, so then some little people try and steal his car and like nick something off the top of it. Uh, That's random. <laughs> just like, just I guess it adds a bit of colour to the world. But yeah, yeah. whatever. They just nick and stumble off his car. He goes to Sebastian's apartment block, doesn't he? And he sort of sneaks up the stairs. Yeah. And um, as he goes in, um, I like this part because we, we can see uh, Pris. Um, she's almost blending in with the rest of the toys and models and robots, mm. isn't she? And, um, and Deckard sort of like sneaking around and actually, he, he, you know, being a good blade runner, he spots straight away that she is a replicant, doesn't he? He goes right up to her and then bang. Yeah. And then she surprised kicks him, um, keeps doing some more flips. She likes a flip. Um, and then she, she's bendy. She's yeah, bendy. She, she she's agile, bendy. And then she Xena on Xena on tops him, you know, from Goldeneye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so she's got like legs around the neck choking him and then she pulls his nose up I'm yeah like, that's different and it would hurt like fair fish enough. hook and then uh <laughs> and then she lets him go runs off and then comes flipping back again like a gymnast and um and then he just shoots her bang and again that's another one down another replicant um gone and she has a proper fit on the floor doesn't she though she's she's proper going yeah, like I say, she she dies as you think a replicant would die. Um, Roy comes up in the lift. Uh, he finds that Chris has been killed. Um, Deckard's gone off to sort of hide in, in the apartment block or whatever, and um, he gives her a kiss, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, a touching moment. It's obviously the love of his life. You can love as 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 androids. Um, oh. Yeah, Roy's here, and uh, Deckard shoots at him, doesn't he? Uh, but Roy dodges it. He's quick. He's strong. He's smart. Um, and he starts taunting him. Yeah, and um, oh, I love this part as well, where uh, you've got Deckard sort of, uh, sort of sneaking along uh, by a wall, and then out of nowhere, um, we find out that uh, Roy is actually behind the wall. And he grabs his arm, doesn't he? And he mm. pulls it through the wall, and then he starts breaking his fingers. Yeah, um, you know, in sort of, and he starts naming the other replicants, doesn't he? He's almost like a payback, like you know, fuck you. Like, yeah. This is for this is for Leon. This is for whatever. Um, it's really, I don't know, just horrible having your fingers pulled back like that. And is there anything more intimidating than somebody disarming you, breaking your fingers, and then giving you your gun back? Oh, yeah, that is like, that is just <laughs> that extra bit of salt in the wound. There's a taunt, cool. just say, yeah, I'm so confident that I can still kick your ass that you can have a gun. Yeah. He's, that's the thing, Roy's like proper enjoying this whole like playoff. Like, he's a strange baddie, Roy, because, um, 
it's hard, actually it's not really right to call him a baddie because I know he does kill some people in this, but he's like he's like a proper deep thinker, poetic. He's desperate um, as well. He, he's just desperate. He, he's trying yeah, to survive. He's, he's like no other character I think I've seen in a film. And um, do you know what I mean? There's so much to him, and he's so interesting, and he's so likable. Mm. Uh, he just I love the way that Rooker Howard plays him. He's is really really cool. Yeah, I think it's another theme in this is is survival and bit people doing what they can to survive. I think, um, yeah. yeah, that's that, like although in in like different in different situation, him and Deckard could be quite good friends or partners or whatever. Um, but this guy is just he's seen a lot. You know, he, again, you later in his, he's seen things you people wouldn't believe. Uh, he talks about talks about that. So he's obviously he's come from a different world. But Deckard could quite easily be just like this man. Mm, yeah, you, you get the impression in another world. You know, these two would be they would get on. But in this, they're pitted against each other. You have got Blade Runner versus Replicant, and yeah. you know, it's the way it is. Um, and at this point, they're sort of they're, they're making their way up almost to the top of the building, aren't they? They're sort of having this sort of cat and mouse chase. Yeah, and this was all uh, this is all Rudger Hauer's idea, by the way, because uh, I think originally they had like a proper fight on the roof or something or somewhere else, and it was just like mm. an you know a proper paint by numbers ending where the the baddie gets a fight with the good guy uh but he said i think it'd be a lot more interesting if we kind of play cat and mouse hide and seek type thing it's a lot more intimidating yeah absolutely um i read something similarly apparently it was going to go down like a sort of kung fu route there was yeah. going to be some like you know and i'm thinking oh god it'd been so much worse for that it would have been a real shit ending you know uh, it, it this this is what makes the film sort of like unique and interesting and and, and different and yeah. keeps you on the edge of your seat. You don't just want to see a fight. You want to see you know something you haven't seen before. And I think this film calls it off really mm. well. So fair play to Rugahawa for any actor to be that involved and to say no, I think we should do this and we should do that. And fair play to the director to go, you know, brilliant. Let's go with that. I think that's just amazing. Let yeah. them all, you know, let them all like find their own way of doing it. I think that's really cool. And then uh, Deckard crawls through the ceiling to outside. He's desperately trying to get away. Um, and it it looks like at this point Roy's kind of staring at his arm and stuff. It looks like his cells are de- degenerating, doesn't it? He's obviously he's on his last legs, um, oh. but he sticks a nail through his hand. Oh yeah, and that's pretty graphic. And again, I think you probably would have got more of a shot of it, but um, in in my version, you do see it. He basically pulls a nail out and then yeah. sticks it right through his palm. I don't understand. Is he trying to stop the rot? What's he doing? Is he trying to, trying to give him a shot of pain to wake him up? I don't know what he's doing, but. Um, then... I think I think open to interpretation. But I I think maybe he just wanted to see if he was still um, like feeling yeah. like alive. You know what I mean? But it's yeah, it's not really explained. It's just odd. But then uh, Deckard rushes in with a pipe, doesn't he? Gets a few good shots in, um, and then climbs out the window onto a ledge. Roy's howling again. Um, just he's, he's like shouting things like "I'm coming." He keeps goading him. He's just playing with him. It's like it, it's literally cat and mouse, but the cat's already caught the mouse. Just playing with it. Um, and is the what he said? He gets hit in the face with metal pole. Says that's the spirit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, Decker does make it to the roof, uh, but so does Roy, and uh, Decker jumps to the next building. But only just like hangs on for dear life. This bit gave me a bit of a whoa. I'm not afraid of heights, but this bit I was just thinking he's literally on his fingertips. Oh, that bit, yeah. And then there's a really good shot where you, you you're above Harrison Ford and you can see him hanging on that that it's almost like a gargoyle or something yeah. sticking out, isn't it? And it does look well high. And um, yeah, it raining and it, it, you do get the impression that he could slip like any second. It's very good. Yeah, and then Roy managed to jump off, uh, jump over easily, even though he's basically dead. 
Um, and he does it while holding a pigeon as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely mad. <laughs> but Deckard is slipping, and then Roy catches him as he falls and drags him up. Um, yeah, and this is like strange because he, he mentions at the end, doesn't he, Deckard? He, he says, "I've got no idea." Actually, sorry, it just, just hit me. Um, you probably didn't get that in the final cut. So, in the theatrical version, there's another voiceover. And um, it's Deckard saying, like, I have no idea why he why he saved me. Um, you know, why would he do that? But all that's doing is that's just like echoing what we're thinking anyway. We're yeah. watching it. You know what I mean? I thought that. <laughs> I don't need you to tell me I yeah. thought that. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Stupid, and like it? I say, they really, they really do sort of like, you know, um, spoon feed it in the theatrical version. <laughs> and Roy's now basically on his on his knees. He's, he's, he's fading away. And this is where you get the famous monologue, which again um was was much much of it was changed by Rudger Hauer to make it all that bit more snappy and hard hitting uh, it's, su- it's such a great monologue isn't it oh it's awesome um what did he say about i've seen uh, i've sat on a ryan's shoulder i've got, and I've seen got it here it's, it's um Go I've, for it. i've seen things you people wouldn't believe attack ships on fire off the shoulder of orion i watch sea beams glitter in the dark near the tannhauser gate all those moments will be lost in time like tears in the rain time to die um now the original was slightly different so he he added the tears in the rain and things like that um and yeah so he he improved it quite a lot i think because originally it was i've seen things seen things you little people wouldn't believe attack ships on fire off the shoulder of orion bright as magnesium i rode on the back decks of a blinker and watched sea beams glitter in the dark near tannhauser gate all those moments they'll be gone wow i mean the difference is um you know, so a writer actually wrote that, whereas the actor actually took it and made it even more like poetic and, and beautiful. Yeah. So fair play. He's, he's cut yeah. some fat and added some poetic moments. That line, um, all those moments will be lost in time, like tears in rain. Like tears in rain. It, it's just so right, isn't it? It's just camouflaging your tears and uh, thinking of yeah. any, any moments that people lived through are just going to disappear in time. It's, it's not as if they didn't happen to it. They're just being clouded by the by, the, by time and uh that's yeah. that's another theme of this film is time passing and and the the you know the temporary life and death type thing mm. and i mean as he's saying that as well you know as is most of this film it's pissing down with rain and and, and it just looks so wet and so it all just comes together so nicely like it, that metaphor like proper explains doesn't it how you know things can be lost forever um like yeah tears in rain that's it and then um gaff turns up doesn't he yeah, so basically that that's the end of um, and Roy. He, he sort of shuts down. Um, Gaff sort of turns up, you know, as if by magic, you know, right just at the right time. Um, and so just as, as Roy uh, sort of breathes his final breath, he lets that pigeon go, doesn't he? That's right. Yeah, flying off again. I think that was, off. I think again that was um, that was his idea. And then this um, this next bit. Then so we get the line um, from Gaff to uh, Deckard saying he says. You did a man's job, sir. Yeah. And like you know, anyone could be, uh, you know, could be forgiven for missing that. But that appears in my version and your version. And basically, that you know is a strange line, um, maybe hinting that Deckard is a replicant. Because why mm. would you say that to a bloke? You know what I mean? Like, so in my version, they're not hitting you over the head with it, but there is a little hint that maybe there's a little bit more to Deckard than meets the eye. Yeah, and there's another hint for that. Again, I'm not sure what 
was in your version, but there's another hint coming up. But Decker goes back to his apartment and, and he's calling out for Rachel. He's frantically looking for her. Um, and uh, she's under the covers. She looks dead, but she's just sleeping. Um, and it's like, you know, do you love me? And she says yes. And then uh, they decide to run off together. Mm. And then as they run off, he, he basically, he, uh, Deckard knows that that, that Gaff and the police Blade Runners will be after Rachel. So he's he's tentatively coming out of the apartment and he's got his gun, yeah. uh, you know, in his hands and stuff. And he actually noticed she steps on a piece of origami, which is in the shape of a unicorn, isn't it? Yeah. So that's telling us a number of things, isn't it? Um, one, that Gaff has been around. He knows she's there, probably, and is willing to let them go. Um, but also, what's the relevance of the unicorn unless he knows about Deckard's dreams? And why would he know about Deckard's dreams unless he was a replicant? Exactly. And that's the thing that you don't get in... Um, in sorry, that's the bit that... That's why it doesn't work in the one I watch. Because mm. in the one I watch, all you know is... Sorry, all you get is the origami unicorn, which makes you think Gaff has been there, but for some reason not killed Rachel, just sort of let them go. Yeah. Um, Whereas in your one, because you've had that scene an hour before where he's dreaming, the only possible explanation is is he has to know that he's dreaming about unicorns because yeah. he's a replicant, you know? So exactly. I just think that makes it so much, such it's such a cooler outcome in yours than I agree. in mine. And that's effectively the end of it in my um, final cut. They get in the lift, the lift door shut and fade to black. Yeah, I mean, I've got an extra two minutes, which is the most shittest stupidest <laughs> ham-fisted part ever so i get harrison ford deckard sorry and rachel driving along uh with trees and blue sky and um we basically get uh deckard narrating saying about how it turns out that rachel had a lot longer to live than four years in fact she's got almost forever to live so that's all good and then we get uh shots of like i say a lake and and trees and blue sky, which I found out is actually offcuts from the opening of The Shining. Yeah, did you hear they which asked they asked um, whether they could use some of it because it's made by the same studio, and um, basically uh, they, they get sent over Stanley Kubrick being not one to be shy on using a lot of film. They sent over like two hundred feet worth of film to use. <laughs> There's like, oh, just take you. They's like, well, no, we only need a few seconds. Uh, but they had reels and reels and reels of these helicopter shots. Um, but yeah, mate, I've oh, seen yeah. seen that ending, and it is so it's so Hollywood, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And you know, I mean, it's worth seeing because it's it's good for people to see like what, how wrong things can go. Almost. Yeah. Um, I mean, don't wrong. I, the theatrical version, I don't like. I, I don't hate it. I just think the other one's so much better mm. with a couple of little things taken out and a couple of little things added. And you know, the, the the I think the best thing about Blade Runner is the question of whether he is a replicant or not. And in my version, you don't really get that. Mm. Whereas in your version, it's like front and center at the end. You're like, oh my god, you know what a great ending. It's pr pretty so, much um, pushing you to unless you're not paying attention. It's pretty much pushing you towards the fact that he is a replicant. There's a slight bit of ambiguity, um, but uh, Harrison Ford has always maintained. Uh, did you hear much of this about the who says he is and who says he isn't type stuff? I did, and like it is well muddled because so correct me if I'm wrong, but you've got. Harrison Ford, he said, did he say he's not a replicant? Uh, yes. Yeah. You've got Ridley Scott. I've heard him say both things. One, mm -hmm. he was, he, he said, you've got to make up your own mind. And if you can't understand it, then you're a moron or something. And then yeah. the other, I've actually heard him say he is a replicant. Yes, yes. So later on, when they did the final cut, 
he basically said yes he is like that unicorn is telling you um that he's a replicant and you should pick up on that and then also i've heard that in the book or uh, the author the author he wasn't a replicant no so this is is something added in the film yeah and to be honest i i love it that like no one seems to know what was meant to happen or what was going on because i just think it adds to the the mythos and i just think it's such a brilliant mess i agree i i like i I, something i love in my films is ambiguity i hate everything being clear cut and finished perfectly and all all uh loose ends being tied up i like to just leave something to our imagination yeah absolutely and i just like it that you asked three massive people within this film the writer the director and the actor they all say different things none of them seem to know what really was meant i just like that so excellent you know and yeah and then uh, i'll say that's the the end of the film did you hear how um, all that stuff um started though the the fact that he he is an android is there was one line that because there was two writers effectively for this film and one, I did hear this. Yes. and they, they got their wires crossed or something. Didn't they one put you probably explained a bit of that, but one put something in there and one yeah. Put it so, wrong. so one of the writers was getting a bit of block, and it, it, uh, they basically wanted to do another pass. Uh, Ridley Scott loved the the script he had done, but he said, "I want I want another 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 uh, draft done." Um, and that writer said, "I'm I'm not in the right headspace to do that right now." Uh, so Ridley Scott found somebody else, which caused a bit of you know friction. But he found somebody else. Said, "You know, should mind having a pass." this and he misinterpreted a line saying something about him being uh, uh, a non-human and thought that meant actually oh we're doing a subtle play on the fact that he's 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 a replicant and and ran with it uh, so it was nobody's real idea um it was the first script writer's line put in there wasn't meaning to mean something but the second script writer ran with it thinking it meant that he's a replicant um and ridley scott liked it and decided to keep it in the film oh well that's just a brilliant like coincidence and just a perfect you know a perfect mistake that's just made you know this whole film look completely different so brilliant Mm. brilliant. Uh, before we get into our final thoughts mate i just want to mention ridley scott's back catalog and how incredible it is go for it so have you got any favorite stand what what stands out to you as being a ridley scott yeah i'm gonna skip over like the video shit and uh, and other stuff but there's there's things before this was alien uh yeah. and then obviously blade runner um he did the apple mac <laughs> videos um uh then legends which is uh, a great film uh i loved it when i was a kid uh then we jump onto things like thelma and louise gladiator oh. hannibal black hawk down matchstick men kingdom of heaven uh, a good year american gangster body of lies robin hood shit prometheus he's let himself go a little bit more recently martian i quite like martian Liked Martian a lot. Martian, I thought was was good. Alien Covenant. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's kind of let himself down recently. But coming up, uh, Gladiator Two apparently has been announced. Wow! Mm. And also, can we say that this is the bloke who directed the Hovis advert? <laughs> yes, Boy on Bike. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, Boy on Bike. Like what the fuck? Um, he like directed that. So yeah, no. You're absolutely right, mate. This guy's back catalogue is unbelievable. And, like, when people ask me or say to me, oh, you know, who do you think is an amazing director or whose films do you like the most? It's a difficult question to ask. And it's really bad, but I never really think of Ridley Scott. But when you're reading his films out there, I think he's got, like, 10 at least big bangers, like, you know, really good movies that I think are, like, you know, as good as it gets. So, actually, I really should think of this guy, you know, in a higher 
light because because he's awesome. Yeah, he's he's slightly better uh, back catalogue to his uh, brother, um, Tony Scott. Um, <laughs> what has he had some stinkers? <laughs> no, he he's had some few good ones. He did uh, he did Top Gun. Uh, Amazing, yeah, love Top Gun. Beverly Hills Cop Two. Yeah, not bad. Dave's a Thunder. Tom Cruise racing film. Yeah, I didn't mind yeah. that. The Last Boy Scout. Bruce Willis. Yeah, True Romance. Tony Scott has got some films I like. I love True Romance. Yeah. Um, he unfortunately passed away about 10 years ago, I think. But um, Man on Fire, Domino, Deja Vu, Unstoppable, Taking a Pelham 1, 2, 3. Yeah, he's had a, some, some crackers as well. Oh, fair play. Well, I'll tell you what, mate. What a fucking, like you know, talented set of brothers. Yeah. You know, between them, they got some big old movies. And uh, a, a lot of people might not know, but they're from, um, they're from the UK, aren't they? They're, South they're, Shields. Up in, South Shields, yeah, up in Newcastle. They're yeah. both Geordie boys. So, you know, they're like homegrown talent. They're not big Hollywood, like, you know, well, they are Hollywood directors, but you know what I mean? Like they're homegrown talent. So we should celebrate, you know, that a lot. Yeah. Proud of them. Well done. Well, okay, mate. I think it's time, unless you've got anything else to add. Do you want to tell me what your final thoughts and your score for this film is? Yeah, love to, mate. Um, so absolutely love this movie. Um, there's so I love the version you watch. I really, really do like the one I watch, but I just the narration is pretty awful, and the fact that they leave that scene out is pretty unforgivable because that really does change the whole film. So, like, I'm just going to talk about your version because I've seen the version you've seen, and that is the superior one. Um. I think Blade Runner is such an excellent movie. Uh, I'd call it like one of you know my favourite sci-fi films there is. Um, I love the sort of mash of genre where you've got like it's like a detective movie plus a really dirty sci-fi movie all wrapped into one. Um, I love the world. I love the lore. I love. I, I, I just want to see more of this world, and that's why I enjoyed the sequel so much. Mm. And I, I'm just gagging to watch it, you know, again. Um, I would give this film um, a nine out of ten because I just think it's so good. Um, if anyone, if anyone said, you know, oh, I fancy watching a sci-fi film, what would you recommend? This would probably be the first one I say, mm. and it's the first thing I think about when I think of like a sci-fi film. Maybe it's an Alien, and that's another Ridley Scott film. So fair play to Ridley Scott. So yeah, nine from me mate what about you very strong very strong um yes i echo the points that you've made mate this is the superior version um i, I it's a lesser film it would have dropped a point or two i think if i'd if if we were marking the theatrical version um but i think the power of this film is quite clearly seen in how much it's influenced uh, later films as you as you mentioned quite early on it is seen everywhere when it comes to sci-fi films and, and that's for a reason it its world building is incredible it looks beautiful the, the the production design is amazing the acting spot on uh, the themes are interesting and and get you thinking uh, the ambiguity particularly um has kept it in the forefront of people's minds so people still talk about it and I think the sequel really, for me, is on par as well. And I kind of carried on that mythos. And I and I really like this world. Um, and and I'd be happy for another one if it was anywhere near as as good. Um, and yeah, it just really is. It's just great, the kind of the storytelling and, and the direction. And it really is a near on perfect film. And I, too, am scoring it 9 out of 10. Oh, perfect. So we're matched on that, which is excellent. Um, so, I mean, what a good score that is, a nine. And, Incredible. Um, yeah. Incredible. I'm glad you loved it. I'm glad I loved it. Like, that was just a pleasure to watch <laughs> again. And um, I'm, I'm sure, like you, it's the sort of film you watch every few years and it yeah. always gives you a lot of pleasure. So, 
it was good to um to tick that off. Um, I got a game for you, mate. Um, so when I was looking this up, I thought to myself, wow, there's quite a long time between Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049. In fact, there was 35 years between the, the first film and the second. So what I thought I'd do, mate, is I will read out um, a couple of films, and all I want you to do is I want you to say whether you think that the, the gap between um, the, the films is more or less than the last one. So as I get going, it will make a bit more sense. So nice, yeah. I'll start you off with the first one, mate. The first one, the first two films are Godfather 2 and The Godfather 3. Now, the gap between them was 16 years. So Godfather 2, 1974... Godfather 3 was 1990. Now, the next films, or the next gap I want you to work out, whether you think it was more than 16 years or less than 16-year gap, was the gap between Rambo 3 and Rambo. When I say Rambo, I mean the the the, the more modern remake. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Or I say remake, the, the, the fourth movie, basically. So, 16 years, do you think the gap between Rambo 3 and Rambo was more than that or less? I think Rambo 3 was late 80s, and... I think that Rambo was around 2005-6. So I would say the gap is bigger. You'd be absolutely spot on, mate. Um, Rambo 3, spot on, 1988. And Rambo, you're basically there, mate, 2008. So it was a 20-year mm. gap. So you're absolutely right, mate. That was a bigger gap than The Godfather. Nice. Um, the next one then, mate. Um so 20 years is what you've got to be or, or not. Um, the next one is gap between alien and aliens. I don't think that gap was as big. Um, yeah, I'm going to say it's a smaller gap. You'd be absolutely right, mate. It was a smaller gap. And do you want to have a little guess on, like on the year there? 12 right? years, is it? 12. It's actually less than that. Oh, is it? Um, Alien was 1979. Yeah. Um, and Aliens was 86. So it was actually a gap of seven years. So these days, it's still quite a big gap, seven years. But, mm. you know, some of the ones we're going to talk about today are some big old gaps. So the next one, mate, is um, Sin City and its sequel, Sin City, A Dame to Kill For. Now, do you think it had a bigger gap than seven years or less of a gap than seven mm. years? This is going to be close. Uh, Sin City, I think, was like 2002. Sin City, a dame... I haven't actually seen that one yet, but I think that was around 2010. So what was the gap last time? Seven years between aliens. I'm going to say bigger gap. You're right, bigger gap. And you're right, it was close. It was close. So... Sin City uh, was 2005. Oh, oh God, um, it was later than I, I thought. Jesus. And me, um, when I looked this up, I thought it was... Because uh, I thought I was at school when I was watching that, but I just left school. Yeah, I thought I, was um, in, I thought I was in sixth form when I watched that at the cinema. With Sin City, I, met, I was looking up this film for years before it actually came out, and that's why I think... Because I, I was sort of following it, you know, before it came yeah. out, because I was so interested in it. Um, and like you, mate, I've never seen A Dame to Kill for because I've heard it proper stink, but... Um, the gap was actually nine years. So Sin City 2005 and A Dane to Kill for was 2014. Oh, so well nice. done. The next one then, the next one is um, films I absolutely love. So the gap between Toy Story 2 Ooh. and Toy Story 3. Do you think that was more than seven, sorry, more than nine years or less than nine years? 
So Toy Story 3, I've got a feeling the first time I watched Toy Story 3 was on a, it's a vivid memory of mine because I felt sick for the first, seasick for the first ever time. I was on a ferry between the North and South Island of New Zealand and um, wow. it's the first time I'd seen it and that was in 2011, but I think the film came out the year before 2010, I think. But when did Toy Story 2 came out? The first one was 90, mid-90s. Must have only been a few years later. So that's probably a gap of 10-odd years. What's the previous gap? Nine. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to say it's a bigger gap. Yes. And I'll tell you what, mate, you're, you're basically spot on. So you're right on Toy Story 3. Toy Story 3 came out. 2010. Nice. Toy Story 2 came out in 99, so the gap was 11 years, so it was spot on, mate, so that was very well done. So you're absolutely right, bigger gap than the Sin City gap. So the next one then is um, the film is Dumb and Dumber, and the second film is Dumb and Dumber 2. (laughs) Well, Dumb and Dumber I'm pretty sure is around 96, 7, 8, something like that. Dumb and Dumber 2, so not Dumb and Dumberer, no, not Dumb and Dumberer, because I, I looked this up and I thought the sequel was, because I haven't seen either Dumb and Dumberer or Dumber and Dumber, whatever. Basically, it turns out that I think Dumb and Dumberer is a prequel. Yeah. And Dumber and Dumber, Dumb and Dumber 2 is an actual sequel with Jim Carrey and um, what's his name? Yeah. So this Blondie. is 2 T-double-O, isn't it? 2 T-double-O, that's <laughs> right, mate. So the sequel to that. So to make it more confusing. So yeah, Dumb and Dumber, the original, and then Dumb and Dumber Oh, that's a much, more... much bigger gap. I think it's like double. You'd be spot on. Uh, the gap for Toy Story was 11. This one, 20. Yeah. Fucking hell. 20 years. And from what I hear, it was, um, yeah, a shit show. So. Yeah, it, it had its moments, but it wasn't great. I love the first one, but yeah. I'll leave it there. Um, the next one then is, um, well, a film we love and a film we think's okay, um, is Terminator 2. And Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. Rise so of the Machines. Rise of the Machines. Um, do you think that that was a bigger gap than 20 years or a smaller gap? Uh, it's small. Hang on. Yeah, it's smaller. Um, Terminator 2, 1990. And Terminator 3, I'm guessing. When did I see it? It was one of the early DVDs I had. Um, I think that's 2003. Boom. So, you're absolutely right. It was a smaller gap. Terminator 3, 2003. Terminator 2, 1991. Uh, 1991 so, yeah. mate, you were in touch 12 years. You're absolutely right. A lot less than Dumb and Dumber. So, well done. Um, the next one, then, is Rocky Five to Rocky Balboa. Do you think that the gap was more than 12 years or less than 12 years between those films? Rocky Balboa. Now, that was around... 2004 five six somewhere like that when was rocky for that's one with that's the worst one with tommy gunn um <laughs> fucking awful i hate that film um but i think that fight at the end that's street fight <laughs> yeah i'm just trying to think whether that was late 80s or early 90s either way it's about 15 years gap 14 years gap something like that 15 16 14, 15, 16 years gap. What's the previous gap? Previous gap was 12 years between okay. the Terminators. So I'd say more, bigger gap. 
Spot on. And you got you got the number right, mate. 16 years. Oof. So Rocky Five was 1990 and Balboa was 2006. So well nice. done. Um, a couple more then, mate. The next one then is Mad Max uh, 3. Mad Max Fury Road. Do you think that the gap was um, more than 16 years or less than 16 years for the Rockies? More than 16 years. Any idea? Just off the top of your head, any idea what the gap might be? Mad Max 3, I think, again, I think maybe early 90s, possibly. Maybe even creeping up to the mid-90s. I can't remember. That's the one with Tina Turner, isn't it? Is that Yeah. Yeah. The Thunderdome. Tina Turner. Thunderdome, that's the one. Beyond Thunderdome, I think it's called. Um... And the uh, Mad Max Fury Road was probably about 2000 and, oh God, 14, 15, something like that. So there's going to be... 15, a, a 15. Spot on. Yeah, nice. Okay, so there's a good 20... Yeah, 20 odd, 20 odd years gap, 25 year gap, something like that. Very close, mate. So 30 years was the gap. Oh, uh, Mad Max 3 was actually, yeah, it was actually 85. Was it? Metal. So big old, yeah. How many was that though? 30 year gap between those yeah. movies. Wow. Um, and I've got one more for you, mate. Uh, the last one is Tron to Tron Legacy. Do you think that the gap between those was more or less than 30 years? <laughs> oh, so it's going to be close, I think. I'm just trying to think when the first Tron was out. Was that 70s or 80s? I'm not a massive fan of the Tron franchise, to be honest. Um, <laughs> not? Tron's a weird movie. Yeah, I remember as a kid, it stuck with me in my head, but I never really liked it. Um, I just can't think what year Tron was out. It feels early 80s to me, but I think Tron Legacy was out around 2009, 10, something like that. Um, so that might be 30 odd years. What was the, it was 30 years gap before, wasn't it? That was indeed, mate. Yeah, 30 years before. I'm going and I, 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 I'm to say, like, you, you, you're right with this. It's quite close, yeah. you know. So, it's, you know. I'm going to say it's slightly less. You'd be spot on. Hey. Um, you got it pretty much perfect, mate. So basically, Tron, early 80s, 1982. Tron Legacy was 2010. So. All, all said and done, 28 years, slightly less than Mad Max. So, wow. mate, you did. You got every single one. You did really well there. Oh, and just, just as a little tidbit, oh, it's gone. Um, I was going to say the, the gap between the first and the second Mary Poppins was 54 years. <laughs> oh, you should have got that in. Um, um, but mate, well done. And like, like these days, you know, you, you don't really sort of get these gaps too much between sort of films. But like, you can see back in the day, there was some big old gap. Yeah. Well, there's one you missed out, mate. That is is relatively recent. Um, but it's because it's so open ended. You could have gone Spectre and No Time to Die. <laughs> yeah, unknown release date. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, It'll the gap, be, the gap is growing. It'll be out in twenty thirty, I reckon, or twenty forty nine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what? Um. Sorry. What year did Spectre come out? Um. What was it? Two thousand and. Feels like fifteen. Yeah. One second. Fifteen. Because uh, I mean, yeah, fifteen. We're getting on to six years now. Yeah. Um. By the time it's out, you know, if it is out in October, we'll be bordering like seven. Well, it's yeah. a long time for a for Bond film. It is a long time. It's a long time. Yeah, it is. Long, long time. Well done, mate. Well done. You did absolutely spot on, Dan. Well done. Thank you, mate. I enjoyed that one. And here 
we have uh, I'm resetting to a format we've used before which I really enjoyed and said I'd do again which is where we're going to play a quiz together no I like the quizzes together this is good yes this cool is good. It's so, is it the one where we I'm sorry we don't know the answer no so I've just found a quiz and I haven't gone through it yeah. I, I, I know I know the first the answer to the first one but I hope they get a little bit harder because it's quite easy um, but um, let's crack into it so this is a, a quiz on Blade Runner Nice. Right, let's see how we get on. Let's see if we're going to be a Blade Runner or a replicant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's going to see yeah, if we're a Blade Runner or retired. Yeah. <laughs> Which famous actor who plays the lead character, Rick Deckard, also portrayed a swashbuckling archaeologist and a scoundrel of a space smuggler? <laughs> I love it. I love a scoundrel of a space smuggler. <laughs> so I, I'd plumb for Harrison Ford. Uh, Are you happy with that yeah, one? Yeah, I'm going to go Harrison Ford. <laughs> the other options were Richard Gere, Al Pacino or Tom Cruise. Who would you most like to have seen in the role of Deckard other than Harrison Ford? Do you know, I'd quite, in all seriousness, I'd quite like to see Richard Gere in there. Yes, Richard Gere. Tom Cruise would have been a boring choice, yeah. um, but Richard Gere would have brought uh, a romantic edge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, right, That'd next awesome. one. In the movie, what company makes artificial humans that are used as slave labour and treated as such? <laughs> I'll let you answer that one, Dan. What do you think? <laughs> the Tyrell Corporation. The other, yeah, the other options were Skynet, Wayland yutani <laughs> or US Robotics. Well, Skynet is Terminator, isn't it? It is indeed. Um, Wayland yutani is from. Alien. Oh, okay. Nice one, yeah. Uh, US Robotics. I don't know. Transformers or something. Uh, <laughs> Sounds very generic, doesn't it? Yeah. Next one. In Blade Runner, the artificial humans are formally called what? <laughs> this is hard, isn't it? Um, it's tricky. Well, technically, I mean, it depends if we go with the slang term or the term that, you know, everyone gives them. But I think we can go with replicant. Replicant, yeah. The other options were <laughs> recombinant, synthesoid, <laughs> or android. <laughs> android. <laughs> Okay, next. Who directed Blade Runner in addition to the sci-fi classic Alien? God, these are easy. Okay, so that's Ridley Scott. Let's move on. Uh, they put M. Night Shyamalan on there for some reason. Uh, <laughs> next one. We know the movie title is Blade Runner, but what is a Blade Runner? Ooh, what are the options? Is it a lawyer, a bounty hunter, a special police unit, or soldiers? Oh, I mean, you could make a case for a few of those, I'm... but I think we'd have to go with... A special police unit, I would go with. Oh yeah, it's, it's, they're kind of, but they're, they're not really bounty hunters because they're not getting a bounty for hunting people down. Yeah, they're a space unit. But, I know what I mean though. But like that, that answer is it's like a muddy question, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> okay, Blade Runners have briefcases that contain what they call a Voight Camp test. What does it do? Oh, so what are the options? It tests if a person is a replicant. It finds out if a person <laughs> it finds out if a person is lying. It checks the health of the person, or it checks the electronic bugs in a room. Oh, to be fair, you could go with two of the answers because yeah. it definitely checks if they're a replicant, but also it does check if they're lying or not. But I think we'll go with replicants. Well, only if they are lying. Some of them don't know they're replicants, but it still manages to find them out. Good shout. Yeah. Right, ne next one. What does the Voight-Kampff test use for measurement and confirmation? Is it IQ, education, emotions and reactions, or health? Oh, uh, well, eyeball <laughs> uh, fluctuations. But no, I think we'll go about uh, emotions and... Yes. That? Yeah, it is emotions and reactions because they, um, yeah, that's what they're testing in the eyes is their reactions to certain situations and kind yeah. of signs of emotion. Um, which cop loves leaving origami like minifigures made from match <laughs> matches and trash? Do you remember uh, his I name? It was Gaff. Gaff. Yeah. Not oh, Gaffy. Not Starsky. 
<laughs> is that one of the options? Yeah, not Starsky, not Hutch. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll stick with the final answer of Gaff. I think that will be yeah. it. <laughs> cool. Uh, what makes the police spinner cars so different from normal cars? <laughs> Oh my god, this is the best question ever. <laughs> read the option, please read the option. They have machine guns, they transform into robots, <laughs> they are bulletproof, or they fly. <laughs> Such a good question. <laughs> well, like I say, again, it could be a number of them because, like I say, I don't know the full schematic, but. Um, I think the flying is a big one. <laughs> it could be all four, as far as we know. In mm. fact, in the yeah. in the sequel, uh, they do have guns. Ah, I yeah. see. So maybe this quiz was made before the sequel. Yeah, it must have been. <laughs> um, next one. What do Snake and the Owl in the movies have in common? Is it? Oh, uh, I'll go for it. What are the options? Is it they are puppets, they are statues, they are artificial living things, or they are mechanical? I think we'll go over the artificial living thing. Yes, correct answer. Uh, when Deckard Boom. first meets Rachel, what was the big secret he learns? She is Tyrell's niece, she is Tyrell's secretary, <laughs> she is a dancer, or she is a replicant? <laughs> the big old secret. Or they could have another option. She she would get annoyed if her husband put a lesbian <laughs> picture up in the bedroom. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would tell her to take it down. I should be enough. Um, no, the secret must be she is a replicant. Yes, this is this is too hard for me. I did, I wish I'd read these questions beforehand. No, I like it. Like I say, we're on for a fucking 10 out of 10 here. <laughs> what is the limitation of replicants? Is it they have low intelligence? They have rules implanted in their brains? They have programmed command words? Or they have a limited lifespan? Oh, so... This one would be a limited lifespan of four years on some models. <laughs> Correct. Replicants are activated with a four-year lifespan. They are designed as such so they will not develop feelings or too much self-awareness. Uh, <laughs> That's like moss from a dirty crowd. What is Rachel's deepest secret? She really is human, not just a replicant. She doesn't have a limited lifespan. She is Tyrell's daughter, or she is Tyrell's wife. Ah, so... Uh, this is something that if someone had watched the 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 final cut, they probably might not have got because you only find out she doesn't have a limited lifespan, I think, at the end of the movie when they're driving through the trees. Mm. So that would be the answer. That's right. Uh, who eventually becomes the main target of Deckard? Is it Roy Batty, John Rambo, Frank Castle, or Daniel Alavor? <laughs> this quiz must have been written for people that hadn't seen the movie. <laughs> I think so as well, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's Batty. It is. It's Roy Batty. <laughs> uh, shall I tell you the title of the quiz? Sharpen your wits with the Blade Runner fan quiz. <laughs> oh, I mean, there's there's so much going on in this film, like like little like nuggets, uh, uh, you know, around the edges and that. They could have made this quiz so hard. Yeah. This is not <laughs> sharpening I mean? any of my wits. My wits have not been sharpened. Sharpen your wits. I love it. <laughs> what is produced in the first laboratory where the rebel replicants go? Is it noses, ears, eyes, or throats? Well, as you mentioned earlier, Dan, it's a big theme of the movie. Uh, I Correct. And what is the specific type of replicant that makes up the team of Roy Batty? Is it Nexus 6, Level 3, Soldier, or Pleasure Models? <laughs> oh, as much as it would be good to have Richard Gere and the Pleasure Models, <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's got to be the Nexus 6 model. That's what it would be, wouldn't it? Richard Gere tracking down Pleasure Models. <laughs> And <laughs> that'd be so good yeah, in that officer and the gentleman out there. Yeah, like more well, like he fall, falls in love with pretty women prostitutes, he's now falling in love with pleasure model robots. <laughs> oh, someone needs to hear this and make that. <laughs> Who is JF Sebastian? Is he a genetic engineer, a programmer, a mechanic, 
or a lab assistant? Oh, uh, this is the first one where I'm like, actually, wait, sorry, give me the options again, Dan. A genetic engineer, a programmer, a mechanic, or a lab assistant? I know. Do you know, I, 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 do you know, I actually don't know this one. The reason is, there's a line he says, he says something like, oh, I don't know about that. I'm not a whatever. I, is it genetic engineer? Would you say? I think he says something like he's not a programmer. Yeah, he is a genetic engineer. That's it. So that actually did stump me that one a little yeah. bit, you know. It's, there we um, go. First tough one. what he does. Yeah, uh, first tricky one. Next one. Why does Roy Batty want to see Tyrell? Is it because he wants to fly? <laughs> that would be amazing. He wants to be loved. He wants to get energy powers or he wants to live longer. Oh, as much as I wish it was number one or three. It's, <laughs> I think it's number four. He wants yes. to live longer. <laughs> uh, next one. Who is the replicant that makes contact with JF Sebastian? Is it Lola, Diana, Pris or Barbarella? Well, that'll be all amazing names, but Pris will be the one. <laughs> Correct. Hey, are we going to... There's only... A, there's, oh, God, there's loads. There's loads. God, let's do this quicker. There's so many of these. <laughs> let's just plough through them. This actress who portrayed Pris is also Angelica Turing in Sense8. Is it Jennifer Lopez, Goldie Hawn, Daryl Hannah, or Jane Fonda? Daryl Hannah. Correct. Which replicant was the first that Deckard was able to track down and question? Was it Zora Salome, Madonna, Melina, or Imelda? Oh, um... Zora Salome. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that one. Zora. I don't know her surname was Salome, but I knew it was Zora. Zora. Um, who is the only male replicant that we see with Roy Batty? Is it Danny DeVito, Billy Zane, Leon Kowalski, or Ray Bradbury? Oh, I don't know that. I'll guess Ray. It's Leon, isn't it? Leon, Leon Kowalski. Oh, yeah, of course it is. Sorry, do you know, I was thinking they were talking about the actor's name. Uh, yeah, it's weird that they sh- sh- threw in actor's names amongst character <laughs> yeah. names. What excuse does Deckard use to gain access to Zora and her dressing room? He's a reporter, he's an admirer, he's a salesman, he is from the Committee of Moral Abuses. <laughs> the funny thing is, the answer is like that you know which one's right because it's got so much more detail. Do you <laughs> yeah, know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like, it's like short answer, short answer, short answer, and then the really filled out answer. He's a man, he's a dog, he's an owl, <laughs> or he's from the Committee of Moral Abuses. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the sort of level, it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> what is J.F. Sebastian's health issue? Is it he has a problem with aging, he has a bad stomach, he always has a fever, or is he is depressed? He has a problem with aging. <laughs> No, because he says he's got a shared problem, doesn't he, with yeah. the the, the yeah, yeah right. aging. He has a bad stomach. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so funny! What is the unexpected thing Roy Batty does in his fight with Deckard? Is it he surrenders, he commits suicide, he saves Deckard from death, or he walks away? Um, he saves Deckard from death. Yes, uh, Roy Batty's rebel group is composed of Nexus Six replicants, except for Pris, who is which specific type? A pleasure model, a dancer, a spy, or a scout. Oh, uh, I don't actually know this, but I would guess pleasure model. Would you agree? Uh, yes, I would. I mean, she's a dancer, but pleasure model, yeah. <laughs> Correct. What is the other bad nickname for replicants? Uh, oh, skinhead. No. Skin job. Skin job, that's the one. The other options are Andy, <laughs> robot, or product. Oh, product. <laughs> oh so funny such a product (laughs) (laughs) because of rebellious replicants like Roy Batty what specific law was created is it that all people should undergo the Voigtkampf test is it no person can work in high hazard situations is it no replicants are allowed on earth or replicants must be registered 
Oh, um, do you know what? I don't know. Is it the registered one? I think it's no replicants are allowed on Earth. I'll go with you, Dan. I'm not, I'm not sure, though. Yeah. I can't believe they threw one in like that. Yeah. I'm, should we go replicants must be registered? No, I think go with Earth. Okay. Yeah, correct. Boom. Well done, mate. Uh, what is the motto of the Tyrell Corporation, according to Eldon Tyrell? Is it more human than human? We build the future, human on demand, and building the perfect man. I think it's the first one, more human than human. That's, that's my thought. It's definitely said in the film. Yeah. And it's said in the second film as well. Yes, correct. Uh, Boom. What is one way that replicants reinforce fake memories or hold on to their developing emotions? Is it video recordings, journals, audio sound bites, or photographs? photographs correct the Boom. cityscape of the future los angeles pro prominently features what which become a signature of the blade runner movie itself is it helipads skyscrapers video billboards or antennas um video billboards correct <laughs> another thing they predicted by the way which I didn't really mention yeah it did uh what cultures are seen to be most prominent in the street scenes is it hungarian and german Chinese and Japanese, <laughs> Middle Eastern and Arabic, or British and French. <laughs> well, I mean, in other parts of the city, maybe there's other part, other yeah. cultures and things. But the, in mainly the parts we were seeing was very much the Asian persuasion. That's a different film. Um, I'd like to see the Brit British quarters, though. Oh, your skin job. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Oh, I was thinking there was some really posh ones. Like, oh, hello yeah. there. <laughs> Oh, Deckard. I'm a, yeah, I'm a replicant. Um, <laughs> yeah, pronounce my T's. <laughs> what modern genre is Blade Runner a pioneer of? Is it cyberpunk, film noir, shadow run, or anime? Um, so it'll be the cyberpunk genre. Correct. Before Blade Runner became a movie, the story first appeared in what form? Short story, stage play, book, or news item? Oh, I mean, I, I think it's it's a book. I mean, it's not a short story, is it, Dan? No, it's a proper book. Yeah, book proper it is. Book. And the original story for Blade Runner had what quirky title? We know this. I showed you earlier. Do you remember it? I do. It is um, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Correct. We got 100%. Which is a... We got 100%. Yeah, 100%. Um, sorry. Oh, amazing. Amazing. I, I was just going to say, that's such a great title for a book. Can I just say that we got 100%, and there's only maybe one or two that we weren't 100% on, um, and it says you scored better than 63% of quiz takers. I think 63% of people didn't see this film. <laughs> there are also, but it's like you're saying, if you, even if you had, I think I would have done all right if I hadn't seen the movie. Yeah, same here. You thick idiots. The average score is 88%. Oh my god! Well, well done, Dad. Hundred percent. We Woo! obviously were taking that. We we took good notice of that film. I and, feel um, good. Yeah, yeah. You feel sharpened. <laughs> yeah. Well played, mate. Good effort. Well done. Well, that was that was funny as hell. I loved it. <laughs> and like I say, hundred percent. So yeah, amazing. Well, there's only one uh, more thing to do, mate, and that is to to guess which film we'll be watching next week. Ooh. So I'll, I'll hand it over to you, mate, because um, a couple of weeks ago, you, I remember you got it spot on, and in fact. I, you um you got actually the last time I did it as well you, yeah. you got it really quick as Two well in a row. Russell Bone Tomahawk if you get this one mate fair play because this 
this will be unbelievable. So anyway, what do you think? Where do you think? I'm going to say straight away, I don't think I'm going to get it right straight away. Um, the last two were a bit more confined and there were some like choices that I would have definitely made. Um, but I think there's a bit more to go. So first off, we're not going to go Sean Young because that was our connection this week. Um, she, there was a few that you could have gone with. We could have gone with June, like we said before, but she's, you know, she's, she's out of it. Harrison Ford hasn't been a connection before, has he? Have we, we he hasn't been the connection. No, no, he's been in the film, but he's not been a connection. So you could quite easily go with Harrison Ford. You could also go Rudger Hauer. But are there any films that Rudger Hauer's been in? Yes, there are. Have you gone with Rudger Hauer? I haven't. Ah, Harrison Ford? No. Oh, okay. Now, this is interesting. Good. <laughs> I like this. So going down the list, we've got Edward James Almos. Uh, no not him M. Emmett Walsh he's been in a few good things mm, no so next on my list that I think you might have gone for is Daryl Hannah that is a good guess but it's not her oh okay okay have you gone proper random on this one no it's actually someone you've mentioned oh is it it is is it M. Emmett Walsh it's not e Edward James Elmos it's Edward James Elmas, oh God. Oh God. Okay. All right. Now I just assumed you wouldn't. Okay, so <laughs> oh, I'm alright to look at his back catalogue because I don't know anything that he's in. Go for it. Have a look at his back catalogue and see if anything jumps out um that I might have picked. Can I have one clue? Is is it would you consider it a modern film or an older film? Um, yeah, so I'd consider it a modern film. And in a way, it's something we haven't touched on yet in all our 23 episodes or whatever. So I thought it was a good opportunity to get uh, this type genre? of film, you know. Is it's, it? Yeah, it's not so much genre. It's hard to explain. Like when, when I tell you, you go, oh, I, I know what you meant. But basically, it's, it's a, a, a type of film almost. We haven't, we nearly went on to it, sort of. But, Is it The um, Green Hornet? It's not. Uh, Just a clue then. Uh, so in this film, um, he actually does a voice. Actually, I'll give you another clue. This film will, will, will be found on the streaming service, Disney Plus. Disney Plus. Yeah, hmm. Disney Plus. So it's quite modern. It's on Disney Plus. Is it animated? And he, it's animated, yeah. Well, I say it's animated. It's not drawn. Is it Coco? It's Coco! Hey! Well done, mate. So I was looking through the back catalogues and things, and... Um, I didn't want to go Harrison Ford just because of this movie is obviously well sent Harrison Ford centric, and so all his films are, are, are really like Mostly, Harrison Ford. Yeah. yeah. So he, he was out straight away. Then I went to Rooker Hauer, and to be honest, there's not a lot on streaming service he's in, and the only thing he is in is Batman Begins. That is easy to find, and I was like, oh, I, I didn't want to do that one. No. Um, then I looked at Daryl Hannah. She's been in some stuff, but again, not a lot on like streaming and stuff. So actually, I was like, hmm. So I went a little bit all random. Found this guy. Found he was in Coco, and I thought, ah, actually, it's a film I've only seen once. Um, have you seen it? Yes, I have. Oh, cool. Um, I started watching the first five minutes of it again on Christmas Day, and I think I just had to turn off. And I, but as I was watching it, I was like, oh, I really want to watch it again. Anyway, when I popped up, I thought. This is where I'm going to go because, again, it's a world away from Blade Runner. But in the same vein, the, the character does go to a big 
sort of sprawling world in Tokyo, doesn't he? You yes. know, so I thought that's a bit of a link. Um, and I thought it was very different. It's animated, obviously. It brings us right up to the modern day. And we haven't done a Pixar movie yet. So anyway, that's what we're doing. <laughs> Do you know what I'm concerned about now, though? Is because I'm not sure who's in it. <laughs> Mate, I've already been thinking about it. So... <laughs> And there, there are options. Oh, there ben, options, Benjamin but... Bratt's in it. He's in a few things. Yeah, there's, there are a few options. Okay. I did look at that because what? Wait, wait two seconds. What was I going to go? Oh, oh yeah. So I'll tell you what else I was going to go with. So, um, what I was going to do is in my back pocket, I also had Blade Runner twenty forty nine because oh. if you if you hadn't have watched, no, it's all good because I didn't watch it. So I thought, well, what I'll do is I won't ask you outright because I might give it away. But what I would do is if you hadn't watched it. I was going to do that as a bit of a joke and it'd be funny, you know, whatever. Yeah. Or, but I thought if you have watched it, Coco it is. So I'm going to watch Blade Runner 2049 just because I fancy watching yeah, it. Yeah, nice. And Coco will be the next movie. Yeah. <laughs> Great, mate. Really good. Good choice. Nice. So, different. You can well. watch it with your boy. Yeah, it's our <laughs> second animated film, right? Uh, we, uh, yeah. Lady in the Tramp isn't really animated. That was our... Yeah, actually, good point, because I always think it's animated, but it's, it's not. It's uh, it's sort of humans and thingy. So this is our, our first purely, I guess, animated, mm. animated Pixar movie. So it'll be, it'll be you know, different. And um, I just remember that song, Remember Me. <laughs> I, I really remember liking this, but I always forget about yeah, it. Yeah, same. It's, um, I don't think of this when I think of Pixar films. So mm. um, I'm intrigued to watch it again, for sure. But I remember the last five minutes, sorry, I watched the first five minutes at Christmas Day. It was really hooking me in, so I'm looking forward to watching it. Lovely. <laughs> Again. Mate, can't wait to chat through that with you next week. Uh, thank yes. you very much for today, mate. That's right, mate. Yeah, thank you. Proper enjoyed it. Great pick down with Blade Runner. And um, yeah, see you next week with Coco. Coco <laughs> next week. See, see you, everybody. Thank you. See you later, everybody. Bye.